Certified, qualified West Side host Steve Lucky Luciano. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is the greatest show on earth, the Hard Luck Show. We're coming to you from our bunker in Southern California and sitting across from me, my co host and partner is Chumahan Bowen, American Barbarian, <laughs> elegant <laughs> barbarian, Southern Californian. Mm. American Indian. Uh, turn it up. Turn it up, man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, uh, here we go. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. What? Savages. Yeah. And on sound. Sean Blue Eyes. Lewis. Certified audio professional. Engineer for the show. Yeah. What's your song, bro? I don't got one. Yo, you no wait, 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 wait. Start it over. Say it again. Say who are you? Sean Lewis. Certified audio professional. An engineer. Come on. For the hard. Come on. Soul. This is his song yeah. now, man. Right? Yeah. I was listening to this after the show. What? That's a good song for Sean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Driving in the night. Driving his Camaro. Wow. Up the freeway. Just on a hunt. With a big hunting knife right under the front seat. And a whole bunch of audio equipment in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking for wires and headphones and microphones. What? He's been drinking Schlitz Malt liquor for the last four days. He ain't in a good mood. Oh, man. <laughs> His wife's been going to India and leaving him with the kid for three months, and he's got some rude thoughts. Damn. And he just got let go. Ooh, a little job he was trying to hold on to. And, and Moby... Moby laughed at his fucking podcast setup and he thought, fuck you, Moby. There's going to be some fucking vengeance tonight. <laughs> yeah. What? And then he fucking glued his fucking head back on his shoulders and got back to work at the Hard Luck Show. Started coming down and putting in work with us on the front line. And then, and then Chumahan chewed him out for 45 minutes on the missing the power cord. Just because he wanted expensive coffee really pissed him off, man. He's gonna fucking cut someone's eyes out. Yeah, it's like the fourth time this dude has fucked everything up. <laughs> but it's all right, because he's old blue eyes. And at the end of the day, old blue eyes running the show. Listen, that's true, man. Woo! Old blue eyes. Driving down the freeway, right? In his Mercedes. Down. 
Right? What is it? Is it Mercedes or Beamer? Driving in his Beamer. Right? Thinking about the bodies he's going to stack. He's either recording or he's chopping them up. That's it, baby. Pentagrams drawn on his hand. Dude. You're out there slaying, huh? He is out there slaying. I guess. <laughs> I guess. It's a great song from Sean. I love it, dude. That's his split personality. Like, on the surface. Actually, you know how, like, when they talk about... Uh, by the way, I got your other one. You left it Where here. Where is it? It's in the drawer. It's wonderful. I'm, gonna... I'm so happy about that because I was mad when I left. Yeah, I got it. But, because, um, you know, remember how... Like, there's an old psychological trope where, like, somebody who's dominant or powerful or whatever, right, they, in their sex play, wind uh-huh. up being a submissive to a dominatrix or something like that, right? Like, you've seen that. Like, in the outside, if you're, like, a titan of industry, if you're, like, fucking controlling whatever, billionaire, billions. What was the name of that show? Billions. That's a great show, by the way. Paul Giamatti plays one of those characters. He's like a high-profile prosecutor, mm-hmm. but behind the scenes, he needs his wife to strap him up and whip him in the head and fucking burn his ankles and all that kind of shit, right? Right. So if you take that model, the pu- public persona needs the opposite in private. If you look at Sean, right, mm-hmm. where do we go with that? So Sean's public persona is calm, Right. He's resolving conflicts. Submissive. Yeah, he's resolving conflicts. He's mm-hmm. not trying to. <clears throat> he doesn't. He doesn't push himself out on a show, right? Like, <coughs> and, and that's cool. We're not saying he has to. I'm just saying that his persona is like kind of behind the scenes a little bit. If there's a fight between two people, like there was between me and King Salmon, he kind of is the middle point to resolve all points. Mm-hmm. So, in his private life, though. There's got to be some place in his private life where he snaps and at, right. is angry. And he's the boss. And he's right. controlling the situation. Right, like, like, like Richard Ramirez or something. You yeah, know? yeah, So, yeah, Sean, yeah. just out of I mean, this, honestly, I didn't, didn't think about it until now, but is there a place in your private life where you, you are not the calm, level-headed, conflict-resolving person? And has say, your wife ever issued a restraining order on you? And, and if so, which, what not year? Yet. Not it's yet. Kind of, oh. yeah. No, but seriously, do you? No, I was thinking that um, I used to uh, do a lot of Muay Thai and I like, kicked the bag. On who? At a gym. Okay. He's had his... You, Sparring. What kind, and what and kind of injuries? Sparring. Sparring. What kind of what kind of sparring? You just gotta roll that by there before we go in. (laughs) But Sean, seriously though, what injuries have you sustained in your kickboxing? Sparring. (laughs) Look at his face. He's like, right now I audience. Audience, Mr. and Mrs. Earphones, if you could headphones, if you could see what's going on right now, Steve is cracking up so hard he can barely talk, and Sean is looking like, "What the fuck is so funny about that?" I didn't didn't get the joke. (laughs) No, but seriously, tell him because I know what kind of injuries did you sustain in? in, uh, (laughs) He's still (laughs) laughing. Look at his eyes. 
<laughs> what kind of injuries did you sustain? Please describe what this. What does that mean? <laughs> that you were really in it? You were in the thick of it. You sustained some injuries. He did. I yeah. know, and it's just funny. <laughs> Here, jump, brew to him. Tell him what kind of injuries you sustained. Okay, because I was I, impressed. I broke my fucking wrist. No, tell him. Um, <laughs> shit, I broke my nose. Broke a rib. How did you break your nose? I got what punched you, in the face. He got punched in the okay. face and, and his nose broken. What else? Oh, shit. I uh, broke a... Um, well, I don't know if it was broke, but I sprained a rib uh, sparring. <clears throat> what kind of fighting style were you doing? Like kickboxing, like Muay Thai. Why did you pick Muay Thai? Why did you pick that? Why not Jason? I don't know. I, there's something I like about it. What is it? Just the form and like the kick. It's hot. It's brutal. It is brutal. Yeah. What's the hardest you ever been kicked? <laughs> uh, I've been. That. I don't know. He, I mean, if you been. I've been kicked fucking 47 pounds per second. <laughs> what the fuck? No, I just mean like, did you ever get kicked so hard? That I mean, I've had up? bruises on my he legs. Kicked so hard that he got a broken rib. Yeah. I've had a lot of bruises. Yeah. Like that's something you don't when you think about an injury, it's not really an injury. It's just a bruise. Right. So, um Yeah. Have you ever had to fight in real time using any Muay Thai or anything? Oh yeah. Oh, you mean without gloves? I mean like have you ever gotten in a fight at the bar or No, like- no, no. <laughs> no. Never. But would you? Yeah. Uh, my Amazon package just got delivered. Oh, that's great. <laughs> would you? Would you? Not f- that I, w- I would go looking for it, but there's something in me. It's like, it wants to, yeah, I'm just like waiting <clears throat> for that to happen. You know what I'm saying? And if it doesn't come soon enough, you're going to pull out an assault rifle. Make it happen. <laughs> there yeah, was a, one time I was at the, par- I was walking through the park and this like homeless dude. <laughs> you thought he looked at you wrong. Wait, let him know. <laughs> Here we go. He's going to take a drink of it. It's not his too right behind the trash can. And he looked at me a little bit too long. No, go on. What happened? No. Dude, he's no, getting no, mad. No, no, no. Please he's just mad. tell me, dude. Nah, that's good. I'm cool. No, I want to hear the no. story of the homeless guy, please. Just uh, listen, tell me the story. Just for the record, please. I'm laughing because I've never seen Steve crack up like that. <laughs> no, I want to hear All right, so you're walking in I'm the good. park. I'm good, brother. <laughs> dude, you're next, dude. You're laughing, but he's going to be coming to <laughs> you, you at night. that bum looking at Sean. And Sean's like on that walk. Like he's a fucking six degree black belt. And he's like, look at Sean. started running the other way. You can just feel the vibe. That dude, that dude's like a fucking all-star kickboxer. I'm I'm sorry, Sean. I had no idea that it was going to take this time. Oh, my God. I'm just laughing because, Oh, Sean. I got to hear this, dude. The dome's guy, bro. I got to hear this, bro. Yeah, I want to hear how he almost fucked up his life. I want to hear this, dude. He almost lost his life, dude. Dude, Sean's about to fucking... First of all, listen, Sean. Please don't tell me you were with your kids, bro. No. Oh, you were solo? No. <laughs> I had no idea, Sean. I swear. I had no so idea. You were with your good. wife, dude. Yeah. And what happened, dude? Nothing. <laughs> oh, come on, Sean. Tell us the story, bro. What? Why can't I have a laugh, man? Fuck. You can have, you can a have laugh all the laughs you want. you want. I'm going to continue telling the story either way. Dude, why Why does it? First, okay, yeah. look. 
You got to understand why it's funny to Steve. No, I don't understand. Okay, uh, I'm going to explain it to you. Okay. Because you and I, I'm going to include myself in this, by the way. You and I are regular guys. We don't get into any kind of violent altercations, nor are you or I very intimidating at all in any yeah. way, stretch of the imagination. So when Steve and Lepke, and I'm going to include Lepke on Steve's side, when you and I are telling tough guy stories, it's kind of funny to those guys. Now, I'm laughing because he's laughing and it's pissing you off. That's making me laugh. But you got to understand that a guy who's done serious hard time and has been down for a neighborhood is probably, uh, right, the kind of guy that runs with Diablo. Yeah. Remember what Diablo told us he's done yeah. on air? Right, right. So when he hears oh, guys man. like you and me, who probably really, I mean, we've never had to really get that deep. When oh, when when man. we start to tell a story, we're like, yeah. And that and this bum looked at me. <laughs> he starts laughing. Now I start laughing because I can see it's pissing you off, and you're like, well, I mean, I haven't even told the story. <laughs> and here he is, he's fucking. Oh. I know, but 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 it's not. Do you understand why that's funny to him? <laughs> I just like yeah. I, I, I you take it. it as like disrespect. Yeah. No, he's I don't. I he's just I, he's just la I don't know why God. he's laughing. You don't it's, understand why it would be funny to a tough like a real tough guy, why us two regular guys, even though we probably could handle ourselves, like why it wouldn't be funny. Well, I haven't even got into the story. I mean, how do you know uh, I think it was more about the part where you had said yeah, I did moose out whatever and then he was just like He's like, no, really, really, he did tell him about the fucking, the injuries you sustained. You know why? Because I that was, was funny, bro. I was impressed because like, I genuinely wasn't when Sean, so Sean was doing, first of all, we really want to get down to it. This is how long. I've my, heard about this. No, I've heard about Sean's past with being deep in fucking kickboxing. Right. And I, listen, my memory is so long. Sean won't even remember this. Mm. But my memory is so long is that I did, uh, kickboxing mm. a long time ago like in fifth grade right and then sean and i met when he and i were both in high school think about this my sister was still in a, a baby seat mm. when sean and i met wow so we were talking like two like we're two idiots you gotta understand he and i have never had any real serious deep anything i've never robbed anybody at gunpoint any but we're talking tough kind of and when we're doing what two young males do is talk about what martial art, what martial arts we know, right? Right, which we barely know. And I told him at that time, I'm like, yeah, I'm in the, you know, kickboxing, man. And and then at that time, Sean told me he's like, I hate to tell you this, bro, but that ain't that tight. That's what he told me. I, I remember this. And I go, why? And he's like, it's just the forms or whatever. It's not that deep, you know. You should learn this or that. He told me something else. And I didn't, we didn't, it wasn't a big deal, but I did never forgot that for years. This is, we're talking three decades. So now he's doing kickboxing and, and, right, I don't even tell him about that. I'm really thinking about that. But the reason why I bring it up is I was impressed while he was doing it personally, me personally, because we would lift weights together. And I would see Sean like have like broken ribs and then he would tell me that his nose got broken in a thing. And I was like, well, that's real sparring. Like that's not, Right. That's not, you know, you did say sparring funny. I'll admit that, Sean. Sorry. Yeah, you were like, sorry. That part was <laughs> funny. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's why I was bringing it up because I genuinely was like for a regular person. Because I know a lot of guys that do martial arts, they never get hurt. Okay, I know a lot of fat dudes who do martial arts who never get hurt. 
Sean's one of the few guys that I've seen that's done sparring where he's actually gotten bloodied noses multiple times mm. and taken punches to the face. To me, that's legit. Now, we're talking to Steve. So you got to understand, to him, for me to be like, hey, tell him about when you got punched. Him. I'm trying to pull out your bona fides. <laughs> and Steve's laughing because like, that's just for probably Steve and his experience, that's like just when the mater d just takes you to the table you haven't even looked at the menu you haven't even ordered the food you're just like yeah punching okay but i think it's a big deal so he's laughing about that but then also when you were starting to tell your story he's gonna think some elements of it are funny and 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 you know look uh everybody has ex- expertise and experience in different places so it's like I, sometimes people tell me things I think are funny because they're like, I read this book, you know, Five Secrets to Power, and I start laughing internally sometimes because I'm like, what the fuck? But, so that's where I'm saying Steve's laughing, but you were definitely taking offense. Like, you're, you're not, you're, you're not going to say you were, but right, Steve, he was shutting down. Yeah, and I, I don't know why Steve can't laugh. I mean, I'm not saying you're saying he can't, but I, I wish you, I, I wish you understand that it's not personal, and it's not one of those things where it's, it's like, uh, you think uh, that that we're laughing at you because there's something super. It's not that. It's just that we're just having a conversation, and it's funny that you're telling him like, well, there was this one night when a bum looked at me weird. <laughs> see, see, I've been holding on to this, yeah, waiting for somebody to push the button, right, so I could use my shit on him. <laughs> So my point is, is anyway, please tell the story. Don't, don't, please. This is not some, this is not a King Salmon end runaround type deal. I know you think that, but it's not. Yeah. Look at him. So what happened? You were walking in the park. You're with your wife. Yeah, I was with my wife. And um, this dude was getting beat up by a chick. This um, like homeless guy. Was getting beat up by a chick? Yeah. A homeless guy was getting beat up by a woman. Yeah. She was uh, obviously like his, you know, his, she was his girlfriend or something. And she was like beating him up. And he was like, he yelled to me, call the police. <laughs> Damn. And, Damn. And I just kept walking. I was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he got up in my face. He was like, yo, motherfucker, I told you to call the police. What? He got up in your face? Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, whatever. And I just like sidestepped him and, and kept going. Uh-huh. He's all, yo, motherfucker. And he like got up in my face again. And he was like, yo, you and your white bitch or whatever. He first said of, that to yeah. you? Yeah. He's like, and first of all, my, I don't know if he, my wife's not white exactly. So She's I was like, like uh, what, the, what the, I, I was cool about it. I was really calm. But then he started getting in a stance, right? Yeah. The homeless guy got in a stance. Yeah. yeah. He's like, yo, I'm going to beat your ass and all this other shit. After he got beat up by a woman. Right. Yeah. Mm. I think he was trying to like displace the, uh, the, the uh, situation so like his bitch. girl would right. stop fighting him and then like- he Like a distraction. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And so he got in a stance and I was like, so I got in a stance. I'm like, come on, let's go. Um, but then like his girl got in, in but I was like, Wait, yeah. you got in a stance? Yeah. And you, and you told him, let's go? Yeah. And uh, and then his girl jumped into it and it didn't yeah. go down. And, then, and what were you what and, and you, what, was, what were you thinking in your head right at that moment? I was thinking, um, I was I'm like, a, I'm gonna kick this dude's head off of his body. Yeah, is that what you were thinking? Yeah, you were gonna throw a kick. 
No, no. I was just going to oh. I was just gonna punch the shit out of him. But I was like, oh, he has no idea. He thinks I'm just some like... Look, there's Sean. That's what, the homeless that's what I'm saying. Let me ask you this. Like, as soon as the dude came in your direction, what did you already envision happening? I thought he was just going to walk away and like, I, this was a, like a silly thing. But then once he got in my face, like, heart started beating a little faster. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this might actually be... This is like that. He was bigger than me, too. So I was like, oh, this is kind of a challenge. I got kind of hyped up a little bit. I was like, yeah, all right. I mean, this was a this some, was a, some part of me that was like kind of fear, like kind of scared, but then also kind of like excited. Like I was like, oh, I'm prepared for this. Right. You know what I mean? See, my my assessment. Of the Go situation, ahead. Put the put it directly on. My assessment assessment of the situation would be so much different. What do you mean? Meaning, as soon as I heard the dude screaming out, yeah, I've been. In, looking at i would have been assessing probably the whole situation that i'm walking by or whatever okay but as soon as somebody <clears throat> is to approach me yeah or even begin to approach me right i'm already thinking about where i'm gonna hit them or if there's something that i'm gonna pick up and push inside of them that's how i'm looking at them but yeah i'm not trying to hear anything say i'm looking for the first weakness or how how this motherfucker is gonna go down so do you want to hit them first you want to be the first always thing? man always man i'm mean, i First blood. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be one of the dudes that reacts might might react too quickly because I'm not taking any chances. Right. And if you step into my zone, then you're gonna get hit, and then we're gonna figure it out later. But you're not gonna get that clue. I'm not 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 by my knowledge. Like if it's if we're even stepping anywhere and you cross that that boundary that I feel is my in my space, I'm just gonna take off, back you up. You know. Right. I am, man. I'm just going to take off. And sometimes that's not always been the right thing. Mm-hmm. But That's yeah. something to worry about later. It could yeah, have been man. de-escalated. Yeah, because I've seen yeah. enough motherfuckers let somebody get in their space, right? and they were either put out or they're not around. You know what? That's interesting. What is the... <clears throat> like, what is the... Because I've seen... So we're talking about like an initial confrontation. What's the amount of time or what's the line? Because there is a line where the guy's like, what? I, I think there's a body language long before the line. Right. So my, my point oh. is, is for, for, for it to, some people's line is way late. Like yeah, that. A tone of somebody's voice could be the line for me. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Have a you look ever... in their fucking eye could be the line for me. Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. Like I, if I'm waiting for something else i might have already waited too long do you, you might get have what lost. i'm saying you might have lost exactly man right but uh because that uh sad to say i mean yeah i would like to think if i was with my woman or a woman i would definitely try and deflect the first comment like you did and walk right around right but um, you know, and then you know, if that's my wife and somebody's like gonna call her out of her name in front mm-hmm. of me, then you know, obviously that person wants to fight, there's gonna be a fight. Right. We're gonna we're that some somebody who says that to you when you're with your lady, yeah. It wants a physical altercation. And I think at that point in time I'm they've pushed the buttons enough for me, like my ego is still too big. You know, we're gonna get them up. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, man, that's uh well, Sean was ready to go. He was ready to go. That's what I meant. Like, what was the first thing you were envisioning? 
Like, was it a fucking kick or were you just going to yeah, punch the you? shit uh, out of him? I would have just punched him straight in the face. What's, dude, even in your, sorry. Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever punch any, like, have you ever hit someone real solid in the oh, face? Oh, yeah. And how, did Many it, times. What did it feel like for you? Oh, sweet. <laughs> 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 fucking yeah. awesome. Especially with There's the glove like on. it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like, Dude, the best you can, thing, you know, right? The, the best thing is when you hit him with like a heavy right hand, yeah. Like, a, like just your backhand, just bam, you connect. Oh, feels so good. Especially <laughs> when they get a little joy, like or they stop. You pause button on their ass. Yeah, when they stop, they're like, oh, okay, wait, hold up. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. You know that shit landed. Yeah. Right. How about when you throw and you land one, and you're like, they're not reacting to it the way that you thought. Does that yeah, ever happen to you, fuck. Steve? Uh, Have you ever hit someone? And yeah, well, yes. There's been a couple times. There's been a couple times in my life where I hit, where I, I got in some good licks, but the dude was like, yeah, yeah it wasn't that. No dude, yeah, oh yeah, man. And that's a fucked up uh, <clears throat> situation to be in. Yeah, dude. That reminds <laughs> me of when uh, I heard from whatever I don't remember what, but um, George Foreman when he was fighting Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. he admitted. That there was a point during the fight when Foreman was just fucking laying the lumber, like knocking the brakes off. Muhammad Ali was rope doping. Mm-hmm. And then he said, Muhammad Ali pulled him close and said, Oh man, is that all you got? <laughs> and he looked direct in Foreman's eyes. And Ali says, At that moment, he saw a fight just go right out of George Foreman. And George Foreman admits, like, when he said that to me, I'd given him everything I had. And then he looked me in the eyes and says, that all you got, old man? He said, that fucking crushed me. Damn. Damn. So I can imagine if you fucking put some good licks on somebody and they're like, yeah. Your best isn't good enough? Yeah. I think that's what stops most people from trying to do anything. That Most people don't do anything, even outside of the realm of fighting, because they're afraid that if they put their best and it's not good enough, that they might not be able to come, come back, back from that yeah. yeah so they just they don't put their best uh, hey listen yeah yeah right true that true that talking about um listen switching gears now whew, man that was a tough whew, that was great i never laughed that hard in my life watching you laugh and then and then sean get mad yeah. that was the best thing i, I this guy be golden tape right I'm there. gonna tell you something about Go ahead. That, I'm gonna turn though. on the fucking air conditioning. I'm gonna I'm tell you something real tricky about that little situation before we get off of it. Because I've been the guy where a couple big dudes have gotten off their best shots and little guys. And that shit didn't phase me. Like it, it, that wasn't gonna do that wasn't gonna end anything. Right. And I've seen, like, the look in their eye, being that guy. You know what I'm saying? That happened to me, too. <clears throat> and, what I'm, and, and what I will say is this is, like, somebody like that, you, you, you beat their ass, you know, and let them get on their way. But you also got to remember, man, that it's like when you corner a dog, when you corner somebody who's really scared, Oh yeah, you just got to be careful, right? Because you might unleash something that they yeah, don't even know they have. Exactly. So, like, and I know people that have made that mistake, man. 
and push things too far. Like, yeah. They're just there. They just got to like, I think it's all about tempering different situations, man. Either you can make some real volatile mistakes or you're kind of thinking in bigger terms. I'll tell you something, man. I was walking on the street. This is a true story. Sean actually saw the results. I was walking to 7-Eleven from my apartment. To get a shit kit. To get my shit kit. What? <laughs> the chewing tobacco that yeah. I used to do right before I took a shit, right? Right, right, right. Okay. So I'm like walking, <clears throat> and there's a street dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't say he was a street dude, but he was like a young kid, probably like 18, 19. Not homeless or anything, but he was just on the street. A derelict. A pure derelict. Mm-hmm. And he came up to me and he asked me for some money. I said, I don't got any money. And uh, he kind of like invaded my space a little bit. It was, there was something off. I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. But I could tell that there was something. It wasn't just a dude asking for money. Something weird going on. So I said, get the fuck out of here. And then he lifted up his shirt like he had a gun. Mm-hmm. Right? And I got a little bit apprehensive because I don't know what he's got. So I like back up and I looked. And he smiled and he didn't have a gun. Mm-hmm. And then that pissed me off. So I said, man, fuck you. And then we started going back and forth, and uh, all of a sudden, he, he popped me so fast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you. He popped me so fast, I almost didn't even see it. Like, I almost feel like he had been training in boxing or something, because mm-hmm. he was dancing a little bit, and he popped me twice. Under each eye, and I got cut under each eye. Damn. I'm not kidding. From one punch, right? Wait, and, from one punch, you got cut on both eyes? No, one punch per right, eye. Yeah, right. It was like one, two. Yeah. And then, then boom, boom. Yeah. Open you up. Right. And then I could feel it, right? Mm-hmm. And and there was a little bit of blood. And then he's all, and dude, this is what really pissed me off. He's like, now go home and wash your face. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I thought, fuck you. So I started running at him. Right. And he got a look of terror in his eyes because he, I don't, he, he thought like, you got popped, you got cut, that's mm-hmm. it, you're out. And I fucking ran at him, grabbed him, wrestled him to the ground, mm-hmm. and hit his head on the pavement a couple times and held him down there and told people to call the cops and held him there. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you skipped a, uh, uh, you skipped a, uh, important part of the story which was was that the people came up and were like hey what are you doing to that guy yeah they thought i was attacking him and i was trying to explain to them that he punched me twice this is self-defense i got him on the ground i'm gonna hold him here now you go and fucking call the cops because this motherfucker he attacked me unprovoked for them i mean yeah i said fuck you but he came up to me Mm -hmm. anyway so i held him there and i gotta tell you i held him there probably for like 10 minutes my eyes were cut and i'm holding him there and then the cops come, right? Mm-hmm. And then the cops take him in there. And the, this fucking little sleaze fuck tells the cops that I threatened him and that I came to him and that he punched me as self-defense mm. and then I attacked him and wrestled him to the ground mm. and he's just a victim. Mm. And the cops came to me and I, I was like, that guy, I'm like, what are you talking about? That guy punched me twice and of course I wrestled him to the ground because he fucking hit me and blah, blah, blah. So they go, well, we're just going to call it mutual combat. Mm. Right, we're gonna take you both in, mm. and you're both are gonna get arrested. Mm. And when you, you can figure this all out later, or you can just say fuck it. This is the paperwork trick that they don't they don't want to fill out the paperwork. Mm. So I I was like, man, fuck you. And I was like, in my mind, I was really pissed because I'm like, look at me and look at that guy. Mm. You could tell by the way we're dressed mm-hmm. that clearly this guy is up to no good. He's a shenanigans. Mm. <laughs> Like, what, what do you mean? And they go, well, he's got some pretty deep cats in the back of his head from when you smashed his head in the concrete. You didn't have to do that. 
I'm like, uh, what? Anyway, long this is this is completely <clears throat> Willoughby and and will it was on Willoughby and Santa Monica. And Santa I've Monica. actually never heard of a story going any other way. Right. For me. Right. Every time somebody calls a cop and there's right. a fight. Yeah. Both of you going to jail or you forget about the shit. Right. Hmm. That's it. That's yeah. That's how it goes. So oh, you, if they're going, you're going. Right. Because they're going to press charge. And then each person's like, they don't really want to go to jail. Right. So they just let it go. That's, and so you're describing to me what I've always seen. Right. I'd like to hear a story where it goes differently. It didn't. I, and, and that was a wake-up call to me to a certain extent where it was like, dude, I, I'm a college guy. I fucking do my shit. I'm not no pussy. I'm not going to fall down. But like, also, you know, blah, blah, blah. The cops didn't care. They were like, whatever. I don't know. You guys, we're taking you both down. You're going you're gonna to sort it out. Or you can just say, fuck it, and we'll let you guys go. It, it's it's like that commercial that they play when they talk about you have a gun in your house to protect your family. And then they're like, but did you know that you could be charged with, and they're running down all these different things that can happen if right. you were to shoot somebody in defense of your house. This is so crazy. Yeah, but then George Zimmerman can chase down Trayvon Martin yeah, engage just, and kill him and then like everyone's like what well, we don't know so in any event i know though he had that look on his face when he thought he taken care of me mm. and i was like fuck i don't care if i get yeah. <clears throat> i get punched in the face i'm fucking gonna come after you you got you guys you sucker punch me basically and that's to your point which is i don't wait like i'm not gonna wait the body language center i'm gonna get off first yeah but i, I that's why i don't a lot of times, that's why I'm always concerned about the solution of violence in different scenarios. It's exactly what you say, Lucky, which is you can beat someone up, but you got to like kind of measure it because if you push someone too far and they got nothing left to lose or you <sighs> tap into that like cornered animal aspect of a human, yeah. even a guy like Schmitty might find some like crazy inner strength and then just go all out. Yeah, man. There's a bunch of shit that can happen. Right. I've seen dudes like my size and bigger accidentally kill motherfuckers beating their ass. Right. You know, like, um, this is a bunch of different ways. It's just, uh, but anyways, all that. Did, Sean, were you doing Muay Thai? Yeah. Because one of my close friends from years ago was have you heard of a guy named Paulo Tocha? No. Paulo Tocha. He was a good friend Is of he mine. In LA? He door, yeah, he was doorman. He was originally from South Africa. He's a white but Caucasian dude from South Africa. And um and um he was the first Caucasian person to take the championship out of Thailand. He was the first Thai champion but not from Thailand like uh, a Caucasian to take like the first title out of Thailand. He was in first blood. He's oh really? That's holding up his hands like that. Yeah. He actually helped train uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. You mean blood sport? Blood sport. Right. Remember the different fighters? There was one guy that came out with like his hands, hands up. up like yeah, that. like a praying mantis. And that's Paulo Tocha. He's a re he was a, a champ all over Thailand. He was the first guy to take the Thai, the championship out of Thailand. In, uh, so Muay Thai, right? Paulo Tocha. Thai yeah. boxing. Uh, it's called the art of the eight limbs. I don't know why. Why is it eight limbs, Sean? Your elbows and your knees. 
Oh, uh, your feet and hands. Got it. That's why there's eight. You know, I went to Thailand and I actually saw a traditional um, Muay Thai match in a fucking arena, uh, like a local arena. I was in, I was on the island of Koh Samui or yeah, Koh Samui, I think it was, and I was there. And first of all, it's crazy. It was like you know two cents for me to go in and get like the best seat in the house, and it was locals. It was two wasn't, cents, dude. It was so cheap. And the, and it was local, so it wasn't like a um, it wasn't like a mega match or anything. It was just like a local, mm-hmm. like you would see boxing in Vacaville or something mm-hmm. like that, like at the local right. high school, right? And they just set up a ring. I went in there, and of course they got all that annoying. I don't know if you've ever heard the flute. The flute, uh, dude. Uh, I've been to a <laughs> have you, yeah, yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. and you're they like, do the whole song and dance on the way up to the fucking yeah. Thing. yeah. Then they go around the ring. Yeah, the and they do the yeah. And right, and you're like Jesus Christ. No. I would want to beat someone's Same ass sense if I, everywhere. If I had to listen to that shit, I would want to beat yeah. someone's yeah, ass. Yeah, it takes too. like fucking fifteen <laughs> minutes for them to do their dance and the music. And yeah, all they their... do that. They whip the leg around yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that shit. Yeah, and so anyway, I was watching it. Some prey on the thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they got the fucking headband thing or whatever. Yeah, they got to take that off. Right, and then they have to take it. It's like a special piece. Uh, yeah, was, they might even take a couple armbands with some things off. Dude, yeah. that music is infuriating. Yeah, like well, it's the, snake that's charmer a, music or something. That whole dance is like uh, you're kind of like telling a story because some of them they'll do like where they're like putting on the makeup and they're like teasing the opponent, so mm-hmm. that like you're a girl, you're like, you know, I'm gonna. So it's part of it is praying, but also part of it is like telling a story and kind of like mocking your your opponent. Mm. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Let's see if I can find some of this music just to give the the. Yeah, that's it. God, I listen to that. Like, look, look, there it's I am. It's like Indian snake charmer music. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Kinda. First of all, I don't even know if they're actually playing a song. It doesn't sound like the guy knows how to play it. <laughs> I don't think they're. I think they're just blowing. Right. It sounds like someone trying a trying out a saxophone. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what it sounds like. So like I'm sitting there and I'm like, she and like I'm trying to figure amateur out, snake charming music. Yeah, can you imagine like who learns that song? They're like, how would you know? Play you that can, twice. Y- think they can play that twice? No, <laughs> I think it's all improv. It was like some like drunk guy in the back. Blowing that thing. Blowing it for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and then the song's done. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to point to you when the song's over. Right, you just right, keep right. going. Don't <laughs> stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen to that. It's an 11 and a half minute song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't know. So anyway, and I'm sitting there. But I got to tell you, man, it was pretty fucking cool because, I mean, we're talking like everything from kids to older dudes were fighting in this fight. And they had like all these different weight classes, mm-hmm. which, you know, the heaviest guy must have been about 138 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then it went right. down from there. Right. It's small dudes. But, right, I got to tell you, man, it's not like uh, the professional ones you see now. There's a lot of locking up all the time and then like, mm-hmm. you know, knee hits to the side or whatever it is. <laughs> And in this one that I was there, I finally saw a real flying kick, mm-hmm. and I saw it land. Really? Oh, this younger kid was showing off, and I think he was, he was going up against a guy that wasn't that good. He didn't know what he was doing or something. And the dude was standing there, and the kid b- backed up, right? And they were getting ready, and the kid jumped up mm-hmm. and came down with the edge of his foot, caught the guy right in the chin, and that guy fell like a fucking block, like just no. a ton of bricks. Knockout? Not dead knockout. Oh, awesome. 
I sw- I saw tip it. of the jaw. Right, he hit him on the side, like r- right, like right. Perfect spot. I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was a little fucking whatever. I mean, that was a fucking great. That was a great night. I loved it. I, I fucking thought that was the greatest. But uh, that's dope. Yeah, I saw one in Carson. Uh. So I guess a, a a friend of a friend's. It might be Paula that was involved in it, but they were trying to bring Muay Thai fights to like L.A. Right. Right. Try and get it going. Yeah. And this is this has got to be ten. No, it's got to be fifteen years ago. Call him a smoker. I mean, here in the, they'll call him a smoker. Like any, they used to call. Well, yeah, this they had the ring there. Yeah. Everything set up it was in the garden. It was at like I think it might have been even at like a racetrack or the casino right. or something. Yeah, back that the shit all set up. Yeah, and then there were all these Thai guys, and it was Muay Thai, and I could tell by the decoration. And then we're all like waiting, and we're seeing a few fighters, and then they start coming out, and we hear that music come on. Right, right. And then it's like a whole event with them just coming out. With the incense and yeah. all their corner men and they're yeah. doing dancing. That is true. But the interesting thing about it, here's yeah. the interesting thing about it, and I think that you would see this, you see this now more in professional Muay Thai. In Carson, when they were doing it, there were all these guys from Thailand that were like trainers, a couple fighters, but there was like, there was Chicanos right. that were all into Thai shit. Yeah. yeah. There was fucking an Armenian or two. Yeah. I think there might have been two Armenian cats. That were and they were like from Glendale, you right. know, all Armenian. Right. They were all, but they're into it. Like they're into like it's, it looks like they're like spiritually connected to it as right. well. Is as there that. a spiritual yeah. element to it? Yeah, Sean? I mean, there's a whole tattoo type scene that goes along with um, with that. I think a lot of people they like they start getting really deep into it. They wear the shorts. They wear the you know that whole style they get into the tr- more traditional like not not affiliated with mixed martial arts they get into it like from a spiritual and like almost like an ancient sense like they want they want the like the traditional form of muay thai more than they want anything else right. and i think it might have to i mean i don't know it's probably different for everybody but like in some parts of uh in some in some fights and some um, Muay Thai fights a lot of those guys will stand and trade shots they'll just stand and see who can take what I would love to see that like they don't they won't move they won't lock they'll just ugh, they'll hit each other I would love to see they should make a new type of fighting mm-hmm. that's just called trade take shots take your best shot yeah take your best shot You two guys just stand there there's no running around there's no moving you flip a coin who gets the first one right <clears throat> and you guys just trade blows. One, then the ref just stands there. No one can back up and jump. You can't do anything. You can get one stance, right? And then you guys stay in that stance, and you can't move your head. The guy's going to punch you. you gotta keep <laughs> what, are you just going to let, let them gonna hit you? Or I mean, you yeah, block. yeah, yeah, because you know what? You can't that, block? No, no block. No blocking? No blocking, dude. It's just, it, the fights aren't that long. They're like maybe, whatever. <laughs> But I kind of like... This reminds me of that slapping thing that they had. That's what I was yeah. thinking of, too. What was the slapping thing? Where they're slapped. The hardest they, slap. Yeah. They're knocking each other out. Dude, they knock each other out. I Cold. Kinda, I kind of like that because I kind of want... Like, think about if you had to force uh, Mayweather. You're like, okay, stop dancing around. You just stand there with a guy about that's equal to you. Oh, of course. And you guys just fucking... You can put the glove on, this glove, and you're just going to trade blows to see who can handle it. 
That would be uh, that would be some damaging shit. Yeah, huh? I don't, that's I some, don't think brain damage, that. some brain yeah. damage waiting to happen. Because there'd be guys that just stand there and take it. Yeah, you know, they don't know no better. You imagine? You imagine if Lepke did that? Like, how much time? How many times do you think Lepke <laughs> could be hit in the head and then like do nothing? I think he's got extra uh, thick bone. Who, but who's the? I mean, think about the guy that you're gonna line up with Lepke. That yeah, guy's got to another big dude. <laughs> so there's gonna be two big dudes. I think it might have to be all out body shots. Okay, Ooh. I'll do that. I, I'll do that. All out body shots. I love it. All out body shots. Okay, fine. You can't lift your feet. You can move around a little bit to try to dodge the, the shot. That's it, though. No one in the You gotta hold your hands in the air. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hold your hands in the air. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and Ouch. better off just closing your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't see it coming. Yeah, we take the. We blindfold you and we put your hands go up over your head. Right, there's two. It's like a pinata. <laughs> <laughs> there's two shoot. There's, there's boots that are nailed into the floor right next to it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't lift them. You can do whatever you want, but you can't. And there's a handlebar hanging. Yeah, you can't. Right? It's like a hanging piece of meat. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can't. And even he has to come up from behind you. <laughs> Dude, the history of Muay Thai can be traced back to the middle of the 18th century during the battles between the Burmese and the Kombong Dynasty. Mm. Uh, therefore, Muay Thai was originally called by a more generic name such as Toy Muay or simply Muay. I think that just means kickboxing. Muay means the kickboxing. The Thai means Thai kickboxing. Mm. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, when they do, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I, we, we always hear about like where they originated, right? They originated right. fighting the this and this and the such and such. So who was it that they were fighting with that you said? It was the Burmese... Of the Kong Bang Dynasty. So I want to know Burmese, what the, Bur the Burmese, what they were using. Bando. Is that what they were using? Yeah. What's Bando? It's a Another form arts. of fighting. Yeah. No, I know. I, mean, there's some, uh, I guess they had, there's a couple. I, I think, what we're talking about, though, is Burma. the area of Myanmar and Burma, like that mm -hmm. whole area, the Southeast Asia yeah. place, which a lot of good shit came out of that. Yeah, I mean that. You know the reason why the Viet Cong there are crazy temples built throughout all oh, that. Dude, you can in go the jungle and in shit. the jungle. You go through and you look, and it's a giant like it, it's like a Buddhist temple, but it's like a almost like a city complex. Not much different than what you might find in the sense of of big building structures. How are they building those out in the middle of the jungle? Because a lot of these pictures I see, yeah. these things are like self-standing. Ah, right. Man. They're all- like, What were they doing? They, no you know idea. what? The thing of it is, is then this is the new, the latest theories are, right? When you're thinking about these temples in the jungles and stuff like that, and we're talking about Southeast Asia, and you're also talking about South America, Central America, right? Like There's some, yeah, they're in the jungle, right? Like this shit right here. So right. the thought was exactly, but the ones that are like in the middle of the jungle and there's nothing else. But because what they're saying is, is that they've looked at the grounds with x-rays and what they see is that there's actually plots and cityscapes. And so what they're really saying is it wasn't that there was a jungle and then they built the temple inside the jungle. It was this whole place was developed thousands of years ago with a giant civilization that disappeared and then the jungle retook it. Mm. The jungle came back. And that's why you see a lot of those jungle trees growing into the stone. It looks dope. 
But the point is, is and uh, some people say it's like a race. It's like a racist thing of history that a lot of the people who wrote the history think like they must have just built this inside the jungle because this there couldn't have been any great civilization prior to this time or prior to that time. When in reality, when they look at the grounds now, they realize actually there was huge civilizations that had tamed the earth in these areas mm. that eventually moved or died off or disappeared. They don't know. So they just abandoned it and left it behind? Yeah, or it there's was, a war. Right. right. No, yeah. so it, <clears throat> but if there was a war, they didn't destroy the structures. Right. So the thing is, is they don't know. The truth is, these fuckers don't know. They really don't know. The Mayans, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the people in Burma and all that stuff, Siam and all that shit. They, 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 nobody really knows exactly what happened. Mm. They all think, there's a, they always say some stupid shit like, well, maybe they polluted the area, right? And then they lost resources, so they had to migrate out of there. But, you know... I think it's really important that like people always remember that whatever theories that we think happened to people in ancient time are always reflective of what we're doing now. Doesn't mean that it's true. Mm-hmm. So we're polluting now, so then we think like, oh yeah, so they must have overpopulated the area and polluted it. Mm. But that's what we're doing now. <clears throat> not saying it's true or not true, but it's, it's, it's always through a filter. That's why I hate when people talk about ancient peoples because they don't really they know. They don't have a reference point. They don't. They don't know. It's not, <clears throat> even, it's not even possible for some people to think that what if there was a golden age of Buddhism? Right, let's just say this. What if there was a golden age of Buddhism where it was real peaceful and the human beings had evolved a higher consciousness? And they had actually shared and worked together. And they had built this ideal community. Mm-hmm. And they had time to build these temples and they had this time to reflect and be, do all this great stuff, right? And, and it was just th- what you're looking at when you look at these ancient temples, maybe you're looking at actually what was like three levels up in terms of enlightenment and consciousness and cooperation, Mm-hmm. But we can't imagine that now because we're the descendants of like 300, 400 years of just war, strife, and private property ownership shit. We can't imagine like that people could organize themselves in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why in the jungle. I, I, in fact, that's, you know, that's, that's sort of the colonial powers, the oppressive powers concept is that native peoples, whether it's in Asia or here or wherever, right? non-european never really owned or possessed the lands that they were in because they never did any kind of you know they didn't make any improvements on the land like we we would they, mm-hmm. they didn't make levees like mm-hmm. we would they didn't mm-hmm. dig irrigation ditches like mm-hmm. we would mm-hmm. but we know that that's patently false mm-hmm. from the archaeological record but at the time that that colonial attitude started that hadn't been developed yet so mm-hmm. that just kind of stuck so that's, that's sort of, um, I, maybe that's this is a good turning point to kind of turn to some things that, you know, how does an idea or an identity get stuck through time? I mean, you have a thing, right, where it's like an identity or a mark or an image gets stuck in the minds of people. <clears throat> yeah. And it starts to mean something. It starts to become emblematic. Emblematic. Isn't that what branding is? Steve? 
In a way. I mean, what is brand? I mean, isn't branding, when you look at branding, like, who are the top? Because you know something about branding. Who are the top? What is, like, considered, like, successful branding? Um, you want the best one? Yeah, like, what's the one? Ralph Lauren. Why is that successful branding? Um, I think there's a number of things. I think there's, um, you know, the fact that he has a branded logo name that's quick and easy. Right. Right? To right. pronounce, Polo. Yet the company is Ralph Lauren. Polo by Ralph Lauren. Okay, so Polo's a great name. Right. The little man on the horse with the polo stick, right? Right. The what that determines when you see it, when you put it on, um, it all reflects one certain lifestyle. The lifestyle has to happens to be a lifestyle that's uh, attractive to a lot of people. When you put the shirt on, you feel differently. You feel like you're part of either that hmm. club or that society or, or you're subscribing to that lifestyle you're part of it now by just wearing a polo shirt right right that has that little insignia on it so right. much but so that means a lot people put a lot on that little tiny insignia. i think that's that's branding done masterfully let me ask you a question because they do call it like that style of shirt is called a polo shirt yeah, I mean, pretty much. Did that? Did that shirt exist? That style of shirt exist before Ralph Lauren put the polo? Yeah, there insignia? were polos. There were polos. Yeah. So that 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 guys wore that were custom and, and fitted and cut a, kind of roughly like what we would call polo today, yeah. a little bit differently, more tailored, and right. they would wear it to play polo in. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. It was an active collared shirt right so it still needed to be proper in those terms in at maybe that event or whatever it might be you know what i'm saying yeah and we're talking we're, we're talking about a long time ago we're talking about probably you know 150 200 years ago oh right? really well let's just say you know let's say late 19th century okay um and so the collared shirt, and that's an important piece. But you were also expected to perform athletics with a collared shirt on. So it was kind of like, how do we do a collared shirt but yet make it athletic? And that's where the polo was kind of created. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah out so of necessity. Were, like a yeah, sort right, of right, right. uniform. Sort but of. that was polo. And then, and then yes, I but think how does... just enlarged the name and the concept by being... How does he, how does, so, so polo, the sport itself was like a gentleman's game. Damn. Yeah. Right. You had to be rich. He's totally right. It's, I just looked it up. And what it's, does it say? 1920s polo players started wearing this, sh this type of shirt. Yep. And uh. so, but, but how does he, tell me about the strategy of how Ralph Lauren, because Somehow he, how does he know that this is a lifestyle that others want? Oh, I don't think, I don't think he's the only one that knows. I think that there's, uh, there's some brands that are standout brands that are really able to do it. I mean, look at, uh, you know, Nike in their world, you know, Bob McKnight, those guys, they've 
been able to take an easy name, a cool logo, and attach a lifestyle to it, um, you know, through a lot of hard work and marketing. They're extremely advanced. I think, uh, and their companies have done astronomical growth through the digital the digital platforms that are available right. today. I think Ralph Lauren was doing this long before that game was really a huge piece. He was he had already uh, crossed over that, and that's he was doing it long before there was a digital yeah, digital platform exactly. and all that shit. He was he was building a lifestyle. He was developing a lifestyle. And listen, <clears throat> I think people like Tommy Hilfiger have carried on to repeat a similar lifestyle and repackage it and resell that similar lifestyle like Nautica or right. I mean, let's be very clear here these brands in particular that we're, we're we're just talking about certain brands right now right those certain brands are um uh you would consider this we're talking about like the Hamptons right that's what's being Pitched. Sold. It's what's being sold in these. If you really peel these back, the lifestyles of elite, wealthy yes, East right. Coast whites, right. yeah. white people. Right. That's that's what these brands. Really Sailboats. Yeah, man. Polo <laughs> matches. Yes. Right. All that. Boat shoes. And I think, um, I think Hilfiger, his concept or his idea, which was talked about, was that he wanted to. He says he wanted to create that brand and be able to give it to the streets. Right. So through, you know, picking some of the right artists, the right models, lining up the correct campaign. Right. Um, that color play for that time was like, it all worked, bro. It all worked, you know. But it's interesting about what you say, though, is that um, because I was just talking to Darren. Mm -hmm. uh, Craig, the director, who's one of the most talented human beings on the planet. Right, guy. Uh, guy looks. Guy. Guy looks like fucking Manson, but he's talented. Mm -hmm. Right. Fucking beyond talented. Right. So here's the thing. Um, he was saying though, and this is what I find kind of crazy, is that he was saying that. So while Hill Figure is marketing stuff for people in the street. He's saying that a lot of urban wear is actually marketed to people who aren't in the street. Hmm. Like that, that the most of the biggest audiences for a lot of hip hop stuff are people who are not in the street. They're not, they're urban. They're not urban. They're, they're not black. They're a lot of like, for instance, a lot of kids that like Wu-Tang. I'm not saying nobody black likes Wu-Tang, but I'm just saying a lot of people that like Wu-Tang or a lot of people that like hip hop or, or those fashions, a lot of them aren't, it's actually being marketed to white people because they want to have that credibility or they fetishize that credibility so what i'm hearing is there's an aspect to lifestyle marketing that's really about marketing a lifestyle to somebody who doesn't live that lifestyle but wants to it's aspirational i mean is that true to in your thoughts how do you look at that and then that even goes for streetwear kind of what brooklyn dom was saying a little bit about how <laughs> that's what Brooklyn Don was saying where he was saying that like some of the street there's real streetwear and then there's the streetwear that people are trying to emulate they want to emulate mm -hmm. well what do you think what do you think about because a lot of the people that did the hill figure they're emulating that lifestyle but how many of them really are ever going to get to the Hamptons well right well 
you know, this word urban came into play like in the 90s. They started yeah. calling, they even at, at the trade shows, an urban uh, location. You want to be an urban? Right. Or you want to be a lifestyle? Or you want to come up with all these fucking terms? Bullshit terms. And they change over the years. Right. You want to be in skate? Do you want to be in surf? Do you want to be in urban? Right. So I, I think. Uh, I think yeah, things are are pitched are pitched at that, and I think uh, I you know I just find it strange. I find it strange where I see some guys out here that are rappers from the street wearing Balenciaga and some of these brands that they're not wearing in the street. They're not. These guys got a check or an advance or. It's fake. They're wearing it and they're promoting this brand. Now, most will never buy. Why? Why won't they buy it? They don't have the money for it. They can't afford it. Uh uh-uh. uh. But doesn't that brand, uh, oh, this is interesting. Doesn't that brand, though, that they're able to afford or is being lent to them, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't that brand uh, elevate the artist? Like he's a pimp or he's, him a, elite, he's right? a successful because he's got this brand. Absolutely. That today, today, yeah, it does. So then you're saying, but it's weird because who's gonna be able to, from the street actually afford that? I'm not really wearing that shit. So how does that work? Out in their first videos, wearing all that shit. So how does that marketing? So where is it actually targeted then? How does that work? Because the big a lot more white kids buying that shit than there are people of color, right? So that is for a white audience then. Mm-hmm. So the, so some rappers, whatever, are wearing clothing that only white kids can afford, and yes. that clothing wants to be associated with that rapper. Absolutely. What does the rapper give their clothing? They end up feeling like they're getting street credibility. That credibility is... in that marketplace or in that ethnic marketplace or... Why is it that these white kids want that credibility, do you think? Like a lot of them, they just want to be attached to that or they want to be a part of that or they want. What causes that, though? I don't, I really. Think about that. What causes, I don't have the answer. I'm asking you. What causes white kids who. To want street credibility or to be no, associated with street. Because they're bored in their lives and what is being offered to them. Or, but let's not confuse anything here. The white... I don't even want to say white, but right. the mainstream. Okay, let's say mainstream. Mm-hmm. It, the, the creative... A lot of the creative stuff that's going to run through our world in art, in fashion, in music... Yeah. If you just look at it, it's coming from like the poor areas, the ghettos. That's right. usually where it's inspired by. What is it about the poor areas or ghettos that make them the laboratory for creativity? Because you have to be creative in those spaces because it's a matter of survival. It's a matter of uh, necessity. You don't, you know, like when you got, you get so much money and so much of all that, you stop doing shit. You just become lazy and boring and 
you don't try any longer. You don't have to be creative because maybe whatever it is you were after was just put put your feet up. You don't want to do anything. You're, you're just not, or you didn't have to. So it gets real boring. Wow. And real like there's no creative, and that's why like after you've used everything up and worn it out and robbed it and raped it, and those people start looking at like. What's being created? What's new? What's fresh? What? Who's taking chances? Who's, and that's all found in places of where there people are trying to... The same reason your best boxers used to come from the ghetto. Your best baseball players would come from Dominican Republic or Cuba. Like, because they were doing it for another purpose. Mm. They're trying harder. They're trying harder. So mm-hmm. what is it that... I what's, don't know necessarily trying harder to get out. But they're having to express themselves in ways that they have to work harder at. They have to think outside of the box. They have to, and so you see the results of that. Um, That's interesting because then that means, <clears throat> what's that saying? Mother, uh, in, the mother of invention is necessity. Oh, necessity is the mother of invention. invention. Let me tell you something. And the reason I talked about the rappers they bothering me. Yeah. With them wearing these. Yeah. Because this wasn't always going on. What do you mean? Well, I'm talking about on the West Coast, man. On the West Coast, like, when that whole, like, when the rap thing started coming out. Yeah. Because we're rapping about what was going on, what right. they were doing. Right. They were wearing what they wore. Right. They were proud that it was their style. They right. were trying to change it to sell to somebody else. They are like, this is how we get down right here. Right. And it was all like, everything was like, it's different, man. And that was your legitimacy. And that was what was special about it. Because you were doing your own, I don't know. That was an exercise in branding in itself, right? Like somebody, they had come up with their own thing, their own style, right? And that was supposed to be, signify like what they're doing. Yeah, that was what was special about it. They were taking all these things and putting it into their own style, their right. own way. Right. And I think. So now you're saying that that step, that risk, is 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 being is is not is actually not being taken anymore because you already have put together brands, putting their thing on the new artist, which is not the same thing as the artist making the brand, making their own style and coming forward. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. So what? how does somebody brand something properly? Because I got to tell you, I mean, you go onto the internet and you throw a rock and you, you'll hit somebody that is offering a seminar on mm-hmm. how to market and brand. Everyone, everyone I know is like some sort of novice brand maker person. They all seem to think that they know what it takes to truly brand something. What... Is it easy to brand? Is it easy to create a brand? Is that just as simple as researching your audience and then just making a website? I mean, what do you got to do? No, I don't think it's just something that's. I don't think it's something that's necessarily hard, and I don't think it's something that's necessarily easy. I think it's more about the people that are able to execute it have been branding their whole lives. What does that mean? That means that the people like the the. They're just thinking on a different term, on different terms. They're seeing things differently. Like branding is about knowing about 
trend and knowing what's attractive through time and understanding trend and understanding uh, just a lot of like how the cycle works and what's attractive to the eye and and different being on different time clocks of different stuff coming back around and being like that person usually gets all that and has always kind of understood that and it's kind of I don't know if I and I, I know it's hard to make sense but it's a lot of different elements, man. With the branding stuff, I think uh, it takes it takes a few good people. You, you got to have a good team with you to brand. But I think to, to there's just a lot of different. There's timing. There's yeah. There's so much to it, man. How important? Know. How do you unpack it? It's it? not. Like, e- it's not easy to create a home run brand. And I say this all the time. I go, a lot of stars have to align for your brand. Just say, let's just say, I'm just going to throw a number out there. Go ahead. You want to do $100 million in business as as an apparel brand, let's say, right? Right. And that's not easy to do. It's, It's not easy to make that happen. Like a lot has to happen. I think it starts from, listen, uh, it starts from the beginning of a career. One thing I can tell you, bro, is this. Yeah. Is that a lot of people see these brand guys and they're like, damn, they hit. They did. But a lot of them, what they don't know is 80% of those guys have been at it for a very long time. They've removed all the mistakes. So now when they're firing, they're firing into like a bucket that's getting smaller. Right. Because they've eliminated more and more of the mistakes right. and the wisdom and the understanding They've learned and there's also the connections over time when you stay in a business long enough right you've gone through 50 so houses for your samples now you've got the one that knows how to do it right and you keep that relationship right so now as you approach projects you're like oh, i've got the dude who can do this i've got the guys i got the best dude that can do that so now does that make sense like yeah and that's only one element that's one element. So and one like, element, first, one element is the connections and the guys that really know how to do it. You've been through so many fucking mistakes with different And houses. you've made so many mistakes. Right. That's just one. What's another element? Um, another element is... Be, I be, This is what I know to be true. One person can come up with the idea or the concept... But you have to be able to share that vision with a couple people. Like a couple people have to understand your vision that are capable, that are capable people. Like you can't just be one person is the only person that sees it. Right. You've got to find or those people have got to come into your life that see what you're doing and understand what you're doing. Right. But are able to to knock shit out that's why i said it takes a team of a couple of a few good people that understand the vision it doesn't have to be all there's positions that get played in life you know this yeah some people are the supporter some people are this and i've seen that like in more times than none for us it was like i either had a vision or i came aboard to a vision that i understood and there was a couple other people that understood it as well and we were all looking at the same thing. And then we could all go out and execute what needed to be done. Everybody doing different things. So I think that it takes, you're going to need some people that understand the vision, that get it, that believe in it, that buy right. into it. Right. Like, um, you know, early on, man, I mean, I got into branding and I, 
you know, as we, you guys know, I don't have a formal education. I don't even have a high school diploma. And I made some crucial mistakes, and some of those can be attributed to me not paying attention in school and not getting some basic, and I'm talking about some basic things that I could utilize. What's the biggest mistake? That you remember. What's one oh, that really oh, sticks there, out? There's, there is the biggest. There is the biggest one. Which is which is what? Um, me and Estevan, I had come up with the name of a brand, and I was in the midst of leaving my first brand, Supermax, the store. Mm-hmm. And I was branching out to do my own brand. And Everlast wanted to back it. And Estevan had a piece of the company, too. So I'd come up with the name. And the name was not guilty. We really liked it. We were sold on it. It was like the right ring, the right everything. It was like not guilty. That's it. So NG, not guilty. went. And at that point in time, I thought that you incor- when you incorporated something, right. that was trademarking. Wow. I thought that stood for everything. Right. If you, I had heard of trademark. And I had heard and knew a little bit about copywriting. Right. But I didn't know the difference between all that. Right. And a registered trademark, registered trademark, copyright. I didn't know any of it. But I incorporate, incorporate. If it's a corporation, nobody can touch it. Right. If we own the corporation. And so me and Esteban filed for a corporation. And we incorporated Not Guilty Inc. Not Guilty Inc. We got all this paperwork and a booklet and your shares and this. And right, right. We didn't even know what we were fucking doing. Right. It's me and Esteban and we were no attorney. And with Jessica there. And we're trying to figure out, okay, I think these notes and you sign these. And you do, do. It was a whole thing. And yeah. the fucking thing cost us a couple thousand bucks. <laughs> and then it would cost us a few hundred dollars a year. Right, of course. And so we go off and we start doing business and we start. And the fucking brand starts like, like taking off. And we get hit with a cease and desist letter Damn. from a Chinese lady in downtown L.A. And Daisy Koo, now she's passed on. Daisy Koo was her name. Daisy and she, Koo. And she, bro, she owned huge factories that made linen and pajamas in China. But they started making a, they did, they took a chance and did a denim company. Do you remember Jessica Hahn? Yes, yeah. I do. Remember Jessica Hahn? She was the one with that preacher. Right. 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 Yeah. So when that whole political, and Jessica Hahn was attractive. You know? Oh, yeah. When all that whole thing hit, there was a brand these people tried to do with Jessica Hahn, and it was her denim company called Not Guilty. Oh. And they and they owned they owned it. Then they owned what we didn't know was they owned the trademark, globally, internationally. Damn, they owned it. Damn, so you couldn't do anything. So we get this letter, and so we get the letter, and we're like, ah. and and by this point in time, that whole thing is not even happening. Like the that's already gotten old. The Jessica Hahn story, like the brand didn't work. And Jim they were Baker, going, Jim Baker, and there were. Trying to go into like Nordstrom's and these big stores with this denim line called Not Guilty with a picture of Jessica Hahn. And we finally, we get an appointment to see this lady and we go in there and what we're going to go in there and ask her is, hey, listen, we have a brand that's doing well. Right. Well, either license us the name. Right. Or why don't you help us? You guys could, you know. Right. And they heard us out and they 
pretty much laughed us out of the office. They're like, nope, we don't want to do anything. And That's crazy. Can't use the name. So, they could have. They could have actually come up pretty big had they partnered with you guys. They couldn't see it. And this was not at a, now. You got to remember, you guys. This is ninety two. End of ninety two. There were no. There is no other brands to compare. There is no streetwear. Right, they didn't exist. They didn't see that. There they don't was... know rappers. There are there are no. This is the begin the beginning of maybe Fubu, but Fubu's nothing. It hasn't even hit the West Coast yet. It's like right. There's, you get what I'm saying? Like I do. A little Carl Kanai, but like, there's not. It wasn't like today. Today, somebody would have been like, "Oh fuck, yeah, let's do this." But right. back then, they were like, "You got." brothers wearing it the dudes from cypress hill these guys are smoking weed and tattoos and <laughs> that's not good and you can't even sell that to stores right because you couldn't you couldn't if you anything that was bagging like that weed thing like you couldn't sell that to stores remember the, i don't know if you guys remember the chronic album they did chronic hats with the weed leaf yeah everybody had those weed leaves so you couldn't buy them in stores you could only buy them at swap meets that's so crazy because that so any Man, I remember a lot of the stuff I was making with Not Guilty and Supermax. Like, that some of that shit they just couldn't have in, in stores wouldn't carry. A respectable store ain't going to have no pot that. shit in it. That's crazy. That, that looks like a gang member. <laughs> so, anyways, we lost, we lost that name. And we had to change the name. And I was in prison. The name had to get changed. We had to find... We were, we were knee deep into, like, business. And I'm talking about... A hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of business. Yeah. And the name isn't going to work. We have to stop immediately. So we had to change. So that was one of the biggest mistakes. Um, and through that, through that really big mistake, you know, as I moved into new, as I moved into deals after that. Yeah. The first questions were, all right, where are we at with the trademark? And then that's when I got to learn how to do my first trademark in right. the search and with a trademark attorney. And, right. Um, uh, uh, I was going to say a shout out, but I can't think of my trademark attorney's name, but he's a great, I'll throw it out at some point in time. I have a, now I have a great trademark attorney right. as my partner. Right. Ovando Bowen LLP. The, the best. The best. <laughs> my wife wants to cut a commercial, by the way. My wife's like, we, we need, need to cut a commercial for our law firm. Well, a lot of I think by the time I, by the time I had a guy that I'd used for a long time that but treated me very well and, and did a good job. But I think by that time, even me and you started talking about trademarks. Yeah, um, I kind of already begun. I, I knew the the process, but so that's something. There's you know uh, understanding and learning what copyrights are, right? And copyright laws, right? And how they are and you know. And from that, and then you're dealing with artists and how do you buy the artwork or do you license artwork? So then started looking at those deals on what's the difference between trademarking and copywriting and, and what can be trademarked and what can be copywritten and what is and what can't you use and what needs to be changed. Or So all these things play into branding. It all starts with like first locking down whatever that name or idea that you have. It's kind of crazy though because I feel like locking down the name or idea you have is good, but at the same time, it's an unknown quantity. So you're going to pay like thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. to protect a brand, let's say, that you don't even know yet. I mean, you think based on your acumen, but you don't know that it's going to take off. 
Do you see what I mean? Like it's easier for you to justify any person to justify like, okay, I'm going to protect this brand because people like it. It's called fucking, you know, cocaine ice cream. People love it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take care of the brand. <clears throat> but by the time you've done the f- figuring out that it's going to work, uh it's already kind of like out there. If you try to lock it down before you've tested it, you're taking a chance. Like you're spending oh, money and you don't I'm even know. You, bro, you don't you can't you can't things move too quickly especially digitally now. Yeah. Things move too quickly. People can see stuff so fast. Yeah. I I, I in the early 90s Kelly Risky had a brand called Third Rail. He was doing it and it was made in America, primarily yeah. a lot of it done here this and that. And he was working on some licensing deals overseas because the brand was growing and some distribution. And he, I think it was that he flew out to like Thailand, and while he was in Thailand, he saw his brand, but that was being made in Korea. Right. So he walks into like a store, and he's like, "There's down, there's all this advanced shit he's never even made. Right. But it's all his brand, Third Rail. So he's looking at shit, and he's like, I didn't even make this.'" It had all been knocked off. Already. It had already been trademarked, okay? These people weren't even breaking the law. They could sell to everywhere except the United States. Right. Because they were the manufacturers. They own the name out of Korea. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, the whole point of trademark is that you're protecting a trademark because you're supposed to be able to not confuse the consumer. Right. So when you see the Nike swoop, you're supposed to know that this is officially made by Nike. It's got a certain level of quality. It's got certain distinguishing features. Mm-hmm. So when you mm-hmm. have that, that's why you have a trade. The trade is making the shoe mark. Mark. That's what it's, that's what it's for. That's, what, that's the idea. That way, somebody who's making Nike, let's say, in California, the actual Nike makers, right, that make official Nike, they don't have to worry about someone in Atlanta Mm-hmm. Just slapping the swoop symbol on any old shoe and confusing customers that this is an official Nike shoe. Right. I'm selling you a piece of shit with Nike. So that's the whole point of the trademark. And that's why it's also, like you said, like you accurately pointed out, it's by territory. So when you do it in the United States, you got it for the States. Right. Problem is, how much do you think Kim Un Jong gives a flying fuck about U.S. trademark law? Right. Doesn't, exactly. Doesn't. Doesn't have to either because it's a different territory. And he could even make an argument. And I've seen this in trademark cases here in the United States. Mm -hmm. There are people who have registered a trademark, but the trademark's not really in use. use. It's not in the commercial stream, Mm -hmm. right? And I've seen, even though you've registered a trademark, doesn't mean that you're guaranteed it's going to be protected. If it's not in the stream of commerce, meaning it's not being used in business, Mm -hmm. to such an extent that people associate your mark with that item, then you can't stop somebody else who's doing that mark on a different item in another part of the country because they're not going to be confused because they don't see your mark as representing anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've seen trade, uh, cases of trademarks being overcome, even though they were registered, they were mm-hmm. overcome by somebody who challenged it because they said, listen, this guy is not even doing business. He, mm-hmm. you, otherwise, people could register trademarks and sit on them. Right. And nobody could do anything. 
So there's a place also where if it's not in business, if it's not in commerce, and if no one's being confused, you're not famous enough that it's going to get confused, then we're not going to protect your trademark because there's nothing to protect. Right. That's right, the right, real. Right, right. That's the real basis of it. So yeah, you're right. That's and so internationally, it can be a real problem. Oh. Yeah, and and so you know, I, I saw that happen, and and I watched it happen with a couple brands, and right away it was like you know, you trademark, you get going in the states, and immediately, as soon as you get any type of response, regionally, or the thing is like looking like it's rolling, yeah, you start, you know, hiring the legal team to start putting trademarks into effect globally. Right. In different, you know what I'm saying? Right. In in primarily the first manufacturing countries right. so that you don't get knocked off, you know? And then you go around and, and you know, and, and, you know, when we, I mean, that turns into understanding, you know, international trademark and then, then those trademarks all need to be, oh, behind that trademark is a, is a list of shit that has to do with, embargoes and trading and quotas of shipping these goods into all these countries under these guidelines of these trademarks and these trademarks stand for these types of factories that have been clear but and it's like i think people think that like this apparel business is like and building a brand just like ah it's just it's yeah like it's so easy and man i mean we fucking i've had goods sitting in the port for weeks because we couldn't get them out because the paperwork was wrong on every label in there. The origin was of a country that couldn't be verified or a factory that couldn't be. So you've got a quarter million dollars worth of product sitting in the docks in San Pedro in LAR, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And you can't get them out. You can't get them out of customs. They're stuck. And now now your retailers are canceling your orders all behind a mistake on a label that was sewn on incorrectly or not right. That's so crazy. And you know what? Sometimes I wonder. And by the way, the stores that cancel the orders, right? Even that financing for ordering the shirts and buying the shirts to get them. How does that all work? Because I've worked with some people in the clothing and they're like, yeah, they don't pay all the money up front or they want returns immediately given back. It's not so easy, right? How does that work? That's why credit was such a big deal because you had to be able to have the credit to pay X to do Y because the stores take forever to pay you what they said they were going to pay you. Right. How does that work? How does that shake loose? You, you, a lot of times, you know, if you're tied into some of these big factories and somebody can co-sign for you, like the factory themselves, they'll get, um, you know, 60 or 90 days net terms. Right. What's that mean? Meaning I'm going to give you, I'm going to print up, I'm going to make all your product, all your apparel, all your whatever it is. And when I hand it off to you, you've got 60 days before you need to pay me. Or 90 days, and then you pay me, but you're gonna pay me this rate. Either you can pay me up front for all of it, right? Or you can pay me this rate, and I'll give it to you. Now, that 60 days, 30 days that they're giving you, it gives you the time to turn around and get it boxed, shipped, receive payment from all your stores. That's gonna take you a while to break up all this ship, ship it all out, and then the checks start to come in, right? Mm. 
and that buys you enough time to pay them back. But the retailer might want net 30-day terms. And if it's a big retailer, they want time to sell it and see what's sold before they cut you a check. And they use that as well. So you're sitting in the middle and you're getting your stuff, trying to get it made on terms. Your retailers, they're asking you for terms. They're demanding terms. So you're not getting paid right when you deliver it. So it's kind of borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. A constant game. So let me ask you this. So uh, uh, a retailer. And I'm talking about large, like when you start moving up into bigger business. stuff. Like so this if a retailer, they, they're like, give us 100,000 shirts. Mm-hmm. And they only sell like 25,000 or something. Can they re- just return them to you and get the money back? Or? Yeah, there's different ways it works as you're building those brands. But, you know, yes, it can go. When you, you uh, big department stores can kill you with that, yeah. that shit. They can make one return off of one season. And if your company isn't big enough or savvy enough or set up correctly That's enough, thinking. they'll break it right there. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I remember a, a story of 5 4 denim, which. We're going to have D. Murthy on, on the show eventually. But Five for Denim, I th- remember it was something like they had a quarter million dollar order for Nordstrom of denim. They started this brand. Quarter million dollar order of denim jeans. And I believe it was either Macy's or Nordstrom they were going into. Right. And these guys had been working hard on this denim brand for quite a few years. And finally, they hit the big PO. And with a PO that was that big of a size, there had already been some testing going on. So when you're rolling out that much product yeah. into retailers, a quarter million, you almost can't not be successful. I don't know how I explain this. The way that type of product set up, the store's getting behind you and pushing you. Right. So as the retailer walks in, they're like, oh, like even if they didn't know, they feel like they should have known, and they're going to buy into it. Right. So when you go in with that much, you're gonna do. You're gonna start doing numbers. That's gonna. Wait, so wait. it was there in, and and so I remember they took all their nickels and dimes, everything they had to get this quarter million dollar order in and done, just to get to them. Because this was it. This was this was the big right. Everything. Your ship is coming, and they shipped. And at that time, Nordstrom's had kind of overbought a little bit for that particular season when this stuff was coming in. And what these big stores like to do when they overbuy is they want to call back the people they made orders with. And they'll be like, Can we, we need to bring that order down a little bit. Or I'm going to remove those sweaters. I'm going to just take that off. And they start trying to trim their orders because the season ahead didn't do as well as they thought. Right. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, what I'm saying? sure. Yeah. So they start like... And if they can find any reason to cancel or get out, right, that gives them more dollars moving forward, right? The buyers, right, right. they look better for their bosses and the company, right. right? And they five four delivers the goods, and it's sitting in the DC of Nordstrom. What's the DC? Their uh, distribution center. Got it. It's sitting there, and they won't receive it. Who won't receive it? Nordstrom's, <laughs> because when they receive orders like that. They pull a random box out, and they're like, let's just check the tech on it. Yeah. It's supposed to be this pant yeah. delivering yeah. with this thread, this button, and they have inspectors. And they're like, okay, make sure. That. And the thread color 
was off. No. The thread color was off. It was like this rust, that thread color that comes on Levi's, that gold rust. Oh. It was off like a shade down. And supposedly, um, supposedly, I think, I don't want to say for sure, by for like when they were having a maid, there was like a little change in color. They were like, but it's not a big deal, but it's not. No. A, and they were like, yeah, just run it or something to that effect. Oh. And it really wasn't that big of a deal, but it was a shade. It was enough. And Nordstrom's got these guys paying attention to shit. They're looking at this stage in the game. They're like looking for something to cancel. Right. And sure enough, they canceled this order on these guys. <sighs> and they had every right to by law. And they're like, it's not. Right. You don't want to give them any reason to do anything. Right. Like that. They had to take that whole thing back. Man. Is there insurance that covers that? Man, I don't know if there was or not, but I know that these guys didn't have anything to protect themselves, and it was on. These dudes had a quarter million dollars worth of denim, and they fucking... It, it fucked their company do? up. Their company just ba- basically disappeared for a minute. Well, they had to refigure it out, get new What do you do money. with fucking $250,000 worth of denim? They moved that fucking denim in their cars, driving around <laughs> the shop. Awesome. I've seen these guys... Every, on the they dollar. pulled out of it. I mean... Look at the guys are, they're they're fucking hit the big time. You know, right. Those guys are four or five denim is now out of control. They figured it all out, but this was years ago. So it's mistakes like that. And I've seen more, I've seen more brands go out of business because they couldn't produce the goods efficiently and properly. Volume. They just couldn't. Let me ask you a question. You said um, that. With an order that big, mm-hmm. right? Essentially, you're almost guaranteed success because basically it's so big that the retailer is actually going to help you push it. It's going to get behind it. So, how much of successful branding is due to a channel being opened up big enough to expose you? It has a huge, huge, it plays a huge part. It, it plays a huge part because once once the snowball gets to be a certain size, there's no stopping it. Right. Okay. Because there's a book called The Tipping Point that talks about this whole thing. But it's the the thing is is once you've gotten to that stage in the game, it really becomes about finance, proper financing and manufacturing. Right. The business is going to be there because now you're just in too big of an arena. Right, and when the retailer is a partner or a so-called partner of yours in the business, they're going to start pulling out more stops for you to be visually upfront. Right, more mannequins. Right, salespeople are better educated on right. your brand. Do this. There's a little more promo, so there's giveaway. There's some marketing. So all these. Th- so now you've got a lot of people working. It's almost like it becomes a belief now. Right. This, you've talked Emperor, about stuff like that. Emperor's got wears no clothes. Like everybody now, it looks like it's been approved by some god. It, or and something. this is what happens when you go into like a. It's overwhelming when you go into like a Macy's or you go into somewhere and you see this huge thing that you didn't know about. You get a sense of like, oh, I'm the last guy to find out about. Like I should have known about this. Like it says something in your head. Like oh, this is okay. Like this is the new shit. Right. Right? Right. People fall for that all day long. So right. but getting to those retailers in the past, you really couldn't buy really buy your way into those retailers. You would have to drum up, you would have to get your brand so hot yeah. that they either took notice 
or there were enough people going in those stores saying, do you carry such and such? Right. And they're getting enough requests. Like, it's got to work like that. So to get it, because those people aren't going to put a brand out, that's not going to do well. Because that'll fuck up their brand. Right. What's the, is there a famous story or is there a brand that got opened up to that big level? The retail got behind it and it just fucking failed miserably? Is there any? It, There's been like bad choices and yeah. some bad picks and some bad gambles and, and the people that were making the decisions were so far removed from what was really going down on the out on the ground floor, right? That they they erred and and just picked out some whack shit that just didn't fucking perform. Yeah, you know, sometimes you know what that's happened with you. That has happened in ways where people tried to buy their way in. Right. We're gonna try and pull one over on everybody. We're gonna somebody that said, "I'll just buy all the floor space in like this Macy's." That means there's been a few like that, right? And it didn't work. They tried to fucking fake something, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it and it didn't. That's why usually those retailers they have on buyers and they understand the business. They're like they know who's ready to walk into those doors. If you're doing a, it used to be like if you were doing enough independent retail business throughout the states, yeah, the independent stores, yeah, where all those buyers are out walking and shopping, and they're like any other business, they're going to send out their investigators. When they see you in enough independence, they're like, "Fuck, if we carry them, it's going to move." There's enough people buying the product without our help. I've always felt sort of. I got a a buddy of mine whose theory is is that brands are almost. He said, if you look at a lot of the different brands that are, are all out there, right? And he was talking mainly about food. But he's like Taco Bell, McDonald's, you know, all that kind of stuff. He was saying, if you really think about their iconography or their brand, it's really stupid. Like, you don't really, it's not that deep. Mm-hmm. Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking bell. Right. It ain't that deep. And his thought is, it's all about exposure. If you repeat it enough and expose it enough, any fucking brand will take off. What is your thought on that? I don't, I, I know that's not true. How do you know that's not true? Because you can put a, a whack thing out there as much as you want. And if it's whack, people are going to laugh at it. And Why does a bell take off? Why does Taco Bell uh, well, take off? Well, Taco, I'm, you know, that's a, that, has, that has a lot to do with a lot of different things maybe that don't include... Um, apparel. I mean, that's like there's a food aspect to that taking right, off. Right. There's a cheap, affordable food. Mm-hmm. I will say that there's probably something to the name Taco Bell and the logo. I remember that original logo. Right. And it kind of signifies and carries everything in one quick little glance at it. You get it. I've always it, thought you know? like Bell is kind of like such a generic item and so deep in our society everything from christmas to the liberty bell mm-hmm. like it's so generic that like you know you could you could you could say shoe bell you know hamburger bell you could be like you know there you go. Uh, the bell magazine bell apartments the big bell happy bell it's just so generic it's such a generalized known object that it works as a as an as an icon from that aspect i was gonna say i think it's like the way that they did the marketing is kind of genius in a certain way because it looks like the in the 80s back when taco bell was kicking it off Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I, I don't know if they were around before that, but they had the mission style building. Yeah, that right? was, hey, bro, that was like in the fucking seventies. It was like right, that. Yeah. right. So they had the mission style. So it's like it's a quick identification. You can you see it, and you're like, oh, there's Taco Bell. So it was all see. built. It was all built with with that big bell. Right. You, you would see Taco Bell, and you'd go to a Taco Bell, and every Taco Bell had the bell right bro there was a bell at the top right taco right. Bell. right it was really taco bell you know the and then other, they would do the little thing where go ding ding you know with listen, the little sound thing. so it's like but the other thing is too like also did you, did you if you've ever watched the movie the founder okay which is about the guy ray Kroc, who took the san bernardino brothers who made the original McDonald's, mm-hmm. the McDonald brothers. Mm-hmm. Their last names really were McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? And he's the one that took it into this huge franchise empire, yes. right? And mm-hmm. somewhere in the movie, Ray Kroc, he, he takes the company away from him, right? He's figured out something, blah, blah, blah. And these brothers were all about, there was two things that these brothers were all about. And these brothers had actually... Made, had hamburger stands and shit before that didn't do so well and they were trying to they'd made mistakes and they were fixing the system and they were doing the stuff and they had worked it all out they'd they worked out like how to lay out even the equipment in the kitchen mm-hmm. to make the burger as fast as possible mm-hmm. they had worked out that you, you know what you don't want food with lots of utensils that's why it's gonna be hamburgers and fucking fries they'd worked mm-hmm. this whole at that time it was not a foregone conclusion that walking up to a window and getting handed a bag with hamburgers and fries and nowhere to sit to eat it mm-hmm. was a good idea. Because up till then, it'd been restaurants. That's what everybody was eating at. Mm-hmm. So these brothers put together this thing. But Ray Kroc understood something about this company that they didn't understand. And there's this great scene, and maybe you can shed some light, because I still don't understand it. The brothers turned to him and they said, like, you got a company, da, da, da. why did you want to, you know, why didn't you just start a company with the same stuff? You, you knew how we made the burgers. You knew how we did everything. We didn't protect any of that. Yet you still want our business. Why didn't you just take what we do and put another name on it? And he said, you still don't get it, do you? The reason why this thing is so fucking hot is because the name McDonald's is perfect. Yeah. What is, uh, why, why, what, what is that? What is it that makes McDonald's a fucking perfect, he said it's the name, McDonald's. It just is, man. Like, it's all different timings and different names and like um, things that are, I, I just I and I can't think I don't know that um I don't know that that name now would be the same. Would be the same. Jesus okay? Christ, you're a fucking but genius. But at that point in time, it really worked out perfect. Yeah. Look at yeah. there is uh there is a um there's a restaurant and I believe it's on Melrose. It's called Golden State Burgers. Oh yeah. It's on okay. Fairfax. That it's on Fairfax. Yeah. That is a great fucking name. Golden, Golden State. Golden State. It's a burger spot. Golden State Burgers. Like, right. We know the name Golden State. Right. It's but it, it's when I hear it like 
Like, uh, like, like when famous came out, yeah, right. it's famous stars and straps. Hold the on. reason yeah, it's famous stars that. and straps yeah. is because uh, Travis Barker was into stars, you know? Okay. And, and he was into belts. He wore belts all the time. Right. But he made, he had this star buckle that was made and it was a star, a five point star. And it yeah. was a buckle that he had made, cast right. and made. And he always wore belts like with his pants real low with belts on extra belts so it was the stars and straps stars and straps it was like the star buckle yeah with the strap belt right hmm. That's but, but, but he didn't call it famous stars and belts <laughs> straps why didn't he call it why what's the difference why why is why is famous stars and straps makes more sense than famous stars and belts for the obvious no, tell me. I, I don't know. Famous stars and stripes. Right. Yeah. Right. Because stripes, because stars and stripes is something that we kind of already, I mean, we don't kind of know. We know. There's oh. nothing more famous than the stars and stripes. Yes. And there was, uh, I, and you want to know something? Well, and why let me famous? say this. Let me say this. <laughs> is that the name famous yeah. was what was getting this thing off the ground. Why? It was like the beginning of like social medias and 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 like these these tr- these shows that were like reality and like there was this surge of people wanting to be famous and that anybody could Paris Hiltons and like it was like this famous right. famous 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 right. put that on and you're famous right. it's like. It was just like it was the right name at that moment in time. It was that because it work because because at that time, fame was really getting decoupled from super talent or super whatever. Fame, fame, as you're saying, it's like somebody could put out a sex video, or like we had with uh, Angeline, people were starting to be famous for doing nothing. Well, and I think like Travis himself was a big drummer who all of a sudden had a reality TV show. Right. And and he he, the world was watching him get famous. Right. As like this icon. And it was like it just it just worked. And um, so 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 you're saying, though, it's interesting what you say, because for something to be somewhat to have a chance. It's not a guarantee. Like, not guilty. Name is so important. Not guilty, for instance, right? Yeah. Not guilty works, <coughs> I mean, almost partially because everybody already knows that that's the common phrase you say in a court case. Right. Not guilty. When you enter a plea, it's not guilty. So you didn't have to educate anybody why those two words are coming together. Famous stars and straps, it's close. Stars and Stripes, something we already are familiar with, with one a one-off, a, just a change, a slight change. But people were, were assimilating. They were really, Famous was the name that people, most people didn't even know it was Famous Stars and Straps. They just thought Famous. Famous. And, and Famous, famous is something that And that's that you, what we played on big. The big F. It was F and the word Famous and Stars and Straps would be small. Who designed and, the F? Because that F had kind of a knife. A, a sort of an edge knife. It looked edge. like a fucking like a Falcon's F. It was crazy. But yeah. uh, um the guy who did his name was Max, 
who laid out that F logo, which was like a one of the, the greatest logos ever. Right. Out of a lot of logos I've seen. Right. Simple. It was the initial. Sharp. It, we, it was sharp. We were able to do a lot to it. We were. I listen. You you know that you have a brand. You know your brand is a success. Yeah. And I've said this over and over again. Look, when there was a point in time. And I won't even just say it about the brands. I'll, I'll even go out further and give you examples. Yeah. <clears throat> but there was a point in time with Famous where we hit that $100 million mark for a brand that was like, we don't do those numbers with where we came from. Right? right. It was crossing lines. But that you could put that F logo on anything. Right. And it was selling. You could put it on a backpack. You could put it on headphones. You could put it on a fucking lighter. You could put it on a pair of shoes. It didn't matter. The F now meant something to so many people that they were going to buy it. Kind of like Ralph Lauren in a way, you know, putting it on everything. Right. There was a point in time with DC shoes, with DC. You could put a DC on anything. Right. You know, there was, there was comes points in times where you can start applying that thing and it's just going to work. It works for Nike. Nike will make bed sheets and people will buy them. Right. Just like Ralph Lauren will make some bed sheets. He'll make some drapes. He makes a couch, you know, like, and when you get to that point where you start, there was a point in time for the hundreds where if that atom bomb, that little bomb was on something. Yeah. And it still does. And they still retain that customer. It's a look at, you can look at the Supreme thing. It's a perfect example. You take something whack as fuck, but put a Supreme sticker. Right. or put a supreme label on all of a sudden it becomes so I, I think that's the that's the ending result of branding now how you want that brand to be depicted is up to you and, and in the integrity but i think that from just a branding getting the name out there and branding something being able to take one icon and associating it with a lifestyle yeah when you Put that when you, when you something inside of you wants that thing because you want to wear it, and you want other people to see you wearing it. Yeah, because that ties you to a certain group or tribe or lifestyle. Right, like that. So, so that's what brings me to say this statement here is like branding. It, it's not ever about really ultimately. At this stage in the game, it's not about the, it's about the piece that I'm making and selling, okay? Yeah. Like, my, because I'm a Garmento. I truly want the product to be the best product there is. The quality, because I'm in love with what I'm doing, and I want to wear what I'm making, okay? Yeah. But keep in mind that ultimately what I'm doing is I'm not selling clothes. I'm not selling jackets. I'm not selling, I'm selling a lifestyle. Right. I'm selling you a lifestyle. I'm showing you actually a lifestyle. It's up to you whether you want to step into this or not. Like I've never gone in and sold anything to anybody. It doesn't work. I've taken meetings and shared with people what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what we're up to. This is what we're doing. And they see it, and either they're attracted to it or they're not. And for some reason, the brands and the setup and the lifestyle that we've been able to procure or procure have been aesthetically pleasing or appealing or attractive to a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that um, 
I think people come up with ideas. I know that a lot of the ideas of the brands that worked, I didn't come up with the brand idea, but I saw it and I understood it. Right. And if you've got a few people that are very capable to understand what you, what it is you're doing, I think that's when shit really starts moving. But it, the name is 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 so important but i think that like the name again has to convey and make sense to what is the lifestyle if there's no i've seen plenty of brands that don't mean shit and people are like real quickly like doesn't mean shit like what is that what what the fuck is that right or it's fake well you know what something i now that you're saying that it's also interesting because i've read because like my wife's got certain luxury brands that she likes right mm-hmm. okay and i like read about them Cause I'm like, what you know, what is Burberry? Mm-hmm. And then I come out and find out that originally Burberry was like, it was like for like coats for the military coats. Uh, originally, mm-hmm. when they first started out, it was all about turning out like we're talking maybe 1800s, World War something. It, these coats, right? That now and then I would sit there and go, how the fuck did this come to mean high female fashion? There's, we started out, and another thing, it's like Target, right? You talk about Target now. And Target is first of all, it's like a, it's like a, uh, it's like a, an all it's for women. Target's for women for mm-hmm. the most part, and they've got that huge beauty display with that's lit up for all that stuff. Women love Target, and I always said to myself, so weird because when I was young, growing up, Target was right like a Walmart, or like a Kmart. It was like a, it was like a, yeah, it was sporting goods. That's why it was called Target because. They modeled it after a target and you could go there and buy guns to shoot Mm. at the target or bows and arrows and all that stuff. And now somehow that target has gone from being kind of a sports utility, like a men's equipment shop Mm -hmm. all the way now to a a woman's sort of one stop uh, shop, one stop shop for women items. They've got groceries. They've got a Starbucks now in there. They're smart. You're going after the women, which but, are the biggest consumers. But it's just so crazy to me, though, that how does a how does a how does an icon or a brand start out popular in one frame, and then eventually it slowly moves into a completely different category? I think that that has to do with like the people on the inside. You know, the I think it has to do with it has to do with with you opening up and having open people and kind of having that like vision to let the brand go where it needs to go without trying to hold it back back like let me explain i can only use i can make an i can make an explanation for you like uh, Famous Stars and Straps was a, a white brand from right. like San Bernardino, like right. white boys and dirt bikers and like it was, it was skaters and shit. Very white. Right. And I come from a, a apparel distribution and, and a realm that's very, if you want to call it urban, right? Yeah. You know, and I came aboard as the sales manager for this company. So I was like a fish out of water. Like it was doing great in all these white markets. Right. But I wanted to bring it even into bigger markets. And then I brought it in because I went where I knew to go. And that was into like urban markets. Right. Right. And introduced it and got it. And it worked. And so fast forward, how did this brand from San Bernardino, this is a white boy type brand. Right become such a huge like 
across the board urban why were all the rappers and I, I think it had to do with the owner travis being open to all different sorts of lifestyles and it being able to go anywhere and play in other fields and somewhere along the line somebody with target was open to like trying new things and having new people try new ideas and it's amazing to me because the original target like when you hear target i mean target does not it's not a a target is a it's it's not a term that you would find for like family friendly women purchasing stuff right mm-hmm. target's not really that it, but it's been so un, untied from that original whatever it is that it almost doesn't even matter as long as you just see that red circle and that mm-hmm. red dot yeah right it does the rest of it doesn't matter the story has moved and this is why when we started this conversation i was thinking about how does something get stuck in the consciousness? How does a how does a how does an idea it gets stuck in the consciousness? Yeah, I mean, there's not you're not completely like it's not a complete fallacy. Like uh, what you had said about oh, repeating over 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 branding something over time, yeah, eventually is going to make it out. Like that's not that's a piece of branding that's very real, right? Like. um at the first couple years of Famous Stars and Straps, we used the F logo on everything. Right. Before we started spelling the word famous out or too much. Like, we were using this F logo. Like, that F logo needed to be branded into people's heads. Just like the Nike swish symbol or whatever it might have been. You want to brand, 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 brand over and over and over again. And if it's a good appealing rolls off the tongue it's easy it's quick it's fast like if it fits all that for the consumer then it works so you're saying that the branding part of the branding is branding into the into the mind yeah of the consumer it's got to be digestible easy it needs to make sense it needs to I think at the end of it, it's got to have be attached to a lifestyle that means something. Yeah, but I mean, you think about it. Think about Adidas and what is where does that take you? Think about Nike and where does that take you? Think about Polo. Where does that take you? Like, there's definitely when you think of those brands, you get visuals and ideas of different things. Those are the li- that's fascinating that because the term brand, right, really comes from. When they used to brand cattle, yeah, you would yep, put it. So you know whose is whose. You put an iron in the fire; it would get glowing hot. Then you would brand the hide of the cattle, and that would leave a scar mm-hmm. that would be in the shape of the owner's mark, and that's how you knew whose was whose. And why? Because they would have to drive these cowboys would have to drive cattle over multiple states they would be pasturing in all these different areas right and then at some point they got to go to chicago to get slaughtered all of them to get packaged up and sent so how do you know who gets paid what if you're going to push them all together right cattle the cattle ranchers right um could save some money if they could maybe put their cattle together and move them and also there was cattle rustling which was stealing cattle. So how do Wrestling. you know? Rustling. So they would do this branding. It was the brand. And, you know, it's funny we're talking about this because General Mattis, when I 
read his book, mm-hmm. Call Sign Chaos. Right, and we're talking, I mean, it's, it's, I really highly recommend this book if you really want to understand what the wars were like in the Middle East and, and what it was like, what they were up against and how they fought Iraq 1, Iraq 2, and Afghanistan. It's really interesting. But he says that his Marines, right? Now, he's like the general for the Marines. He's not the general. F- and not, I'm not knocking the Air Force, but I'm just saying. Right, the right, Marines right, have right, a right. different vibe. Like, they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so... The General Mattis on multiple occasions would say, you know, we're the Marine Corps. We ride for the brand. Mm -hmm. And he would tell his boys that. We're the Marine Corps. You ride for the brand. And when he was saying that, he was communicating something to them. And I was sitting there listening to that, and I'm like, the fuck does that mean? I mean, I, I can feel the power in it. Ride for the brand. But what the fuck does that mean? The brands like the armed services, or so what he was saying is, well, he was we're the defenders of America. Well, Mm -hmm. the slogan "Ride for the Brand," it's exactly right, by the way, Mm -hmm. was a cowboy term, and it was an. I'm gonna use that for Supermax. Ride for the brand. Ride. You should fucking just use it. Mm -hmm. Ride for the brand. Ride for the brand for the Hard Luck Show. What kind of listener are you? You Gonna ride for the brand. Are you going to ride for the brand for a show that dedicates itself to authenticity? A brand that rides for you. The brand that rides for you. <laughs> I like that. It's an eye opener. <laughs> but these cowboys would ride for the brand, and I, I started researching that, right? Uh-huh. And what it was was that in the early days of the American West, the ranchers' trademark, right? We were talking about trademark, which is Lazy R. Mm-hmm. Double H, you know, what's that? When you go down the five, down that grapevine, there's a ranch that's right there that they've turned into a mall. What is that called? You know what I'm talking about? Something with Highland? No. No. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, when you go down the five on the other side and you're going down the, that little zigzaggy thing before, over the mountains, there's a ranch that's, an, and it's, it's got, his, it's a historic ranch. And anyway, that ranch has a, a brand. And that brand now, they use that ranch as an outlet mall. Is it a T? Yeah, it is a T. I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, mm. so the trademark, that was the trademark. In the brand, when they said ride for the brand, that was these cowboys who didn't even own those cattle. It was a way of pride and ethic and way Tejon. to- Yeah, Tejon. Mm. Tejon Ranch. And so when you rode for the brand, it was about the way that you carried yourself and respected mm-hmm. the brand mm-hmm. and respected the mark. Uh-huh. And the way you thought, walked, ate, slept, shit, all that was about representing the brand. That was riding for the brand. That's what that, that's what that meant. That's, and that's why the Cowboys in those times got paid what they got paid. And that's half the time why they did what they did. And you could see where a general who's got these soldiers under his care is explaining, like, you're taking care of America. You're going to ride for the brand. And the brand is America. You represent this country. You don't own the country, but you represent it. And so when you're thinking about the hard luck show or you're thinking about Supermax, riding for the brand, right, 
is about building the way people conduct themselves in relationship to that brand defines the brand. You know what's funny is that you talk about that. And have you heard through all of our prison talks, have you heard the word the brand use? No. Mm-hmm. Or if I did, I forgot. I can't think of it right now. But what? We've said it a lot of times on here. Which was what? Mm. The brand means one thing in prison. What does that mean? The Aryan Brotherhood. That's interesting. The brand? That's, Why do they call them the brand? That's what they've called themselves for years, bro. But I bet you it's because it's linked it to cowboy it shit. It is. It is. It, that's what I'm bringing up. Yeah. That's that's, a, that's interesting. That's what they call themselves. The so what is Ma- Aryan Brothers? The brand. That's the brand. Damn. And when they refer to them talking to themselves or talking about him, think about how deep that is in American lore, like American history. That there's a concept of a brand, whatever it be, for goods, mm. services. Sean, what do you think is the most iconic American brand? Coke. Coca-Cola? Man, that's... that's. I was going to say Marlboro. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Say it again. Say it again. The most iconic American brand. Sean said Coca-Cola, and I agree. Mm-hmm. I'd throw Marlboro in there. Yeah, it, Coke, Pepsi, Marlboro, Levi's. Levi's. Mm. For sure. You know, just those are just off the tops. But those are What's the mega, most- mega, mega, like the, you know, the work that's gone into. What's the most American brand, <laughs> most famous, most iconic American brand car? Ford? G- General Motors. Gen- oh, for- Ford. Ford's probably it. Yeah. Ford, General Motors. Yeah. Coffee, Starbucks now, I would say. Used to be Folgers. That's right. That's <laughs> true. What about um, tennis shoes or Nike? By far, they say one out of seven people is wearing Nikes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's crazy. That is that's super crazy. Computers. What's the most American iconic computer? Apple, mm-hmm. Mac. It's gotta be Mac, right? Mm-hmm. Software's Windows. I mean, you just you. I mean, it's up there. It's up there with a McDonald's cheeseburger. You, you don't like what's, it. What's the most popular water? M- the most iconic American water. Boy, that's a good fucking question. That's an interesting question. If I'm gonna go with the most known and the most common, the most iconic, I'm gonna have to say either Crystal Geyser or Arrowhead. I thought you were gonna say Sparklets. No, but that's bottle water. I mean, not bottle water, but that's water that they deliver to you in your jug. No, I wouldn't say sparklets. Okay. I mean, I, I've seen the truck. I know that truck better than beer. What's the most American? I can- Budweiser. Budweiser. Bar, yeah. Whiskey. Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. Easy. What about, uh, what's the most iconic? I mean, fast food's got to be McDonald's. McDonald's yeah. for sure. Is there another f- what pizza most iconic American pizza? I don't. I, don't, I would think Domino's. I would say Domino's Pizza Hut. Is, yeah, pizza but Domino's. I think Domino's is branded more than Pizza Hut. I think there's more Domino's. Right. You think so? I mean, Pizza Hut. That's a good. Question. I like Pizza Hut way better. Like I like 
It's terms of, for yeah. a pizza, yeah, but yeah. in terms of like iconic brand, I don't know. Pizza Hut's pretty famous, bro. Pizza Hut's super famous. I'm thinking yeah. Pizza Hut's more famous than Domino's. I, I would say so. I actually like Domino's pizza better because I don't like that oily ass crust that Pizza Hut has. I like oily crust. That, that's just me. I like oily crust on, on on my pizza and on my women. Just kidding. All right. So what about uh? Is there any other categories? Most uh, most icon American iconic gas stations. <sighs> Those things are as red, white, and blue as they get. Seventy six Chevrolet, Exxon Mobil. Look at those! Look at those logos. They all look like Killfinger logos. Yeah, they're all you know red. What, it's true. You know what's crazy is that I looked up because for a long time I was looking at Chevron, and I'm like, "What the fuck is a Chevron?" Turns out it's a it's a the military. They're, yeah, the little military. Yeah. I didn't realize that. What about Seven Eleven? Is there any convenience store more yeah. iconic than a Seven Eleven? Nope. And the Seven yeah. Eleven is another one of those where it was like originally it was open from seven to eleven. Yep. That's and they were crazy for being that open that late, that early. <sighs> Man, so where what what do you what 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 for the people for Mister and Mrs. Earbuds who are listening right now? What would you be in part? your deepest insight, your deepest wisdom, if they wanted to create a brand, what would be an insider's tip or a truth that a guy who's worked on brands for all his life, what would you tell him? What would you advise? I would be, I would advise that like, uh, you know, get people, uh, whoever it is that has the vision Bring people around you that understand your vision. Get the right people around you that understand your vision. It takes more than one person to understand that vision. If you get a couple people around you that understand that vision, um, that really understand it, I think that's when things begin to change. Well, you know, And whether that be the right artist, the right business partner the right you got to have the right team behind you to start executing but i think that's it be you know you've got to be convinced you got to be passionate you have to see it you know you, there is no guessing like the guys that have the biggest brands they saw the brand whether they see it being as big as it is, yeah, they saw this vision. They saw that thing working and everybody liking it. Like they believed in it, and um, they didn't get. They weren't forcing it or guessing it or like they just went with what they saw as what was going to happen. And I think if you've got that vision, I don't know how you translate that to somebody. What do you mean? Translate what? the belief in it like if you either believe uh, it like either you believe it like i can't convince you to believe it i can't coerce you to believe it like that's got to be something that's inside of you that really you have that i think that when it comes to when it comes when it comes to that there's no explaining to somebody mm -hmm. a belief there's no explaining it People become convinced in what you see by how you act and how you are. If you show up and they can see in your eye that you fucking believe it, 
that you're fucking writing for the brand, that you're down, that this you there's no question in your mind. Whether they say yes or no doesn't mean a hill of beans to you because if they say no, you're going to fucking say thank you very much or next. Because you know what you got is gold and you got no doubt about it. Not an ounce of fiber in you is hesitating. That's the only way you collect believers. That's there. It is there. There it is there. And that's how you... That's how you get those people around you. But you, and that's why I try to tell people like, wake the fuck up. People get mad around me sometimes because they're like, they're like, they're they're hesitating. I'm gonna say something crazy, but I believe that in the last 20 years we have <coughs> cultivated a group of people in the in the country and educated kids in a way that causes them to hesitate too much we've allocated to kids and explained to them in the in the in the role of education or knowledge tactics that are really about avoidance like like brands and like that stuff right we've laid out all these factors or you have all these seminars that you can attend special classrooms all these classrooms, online, offline, everywhere, and you just pay a little fee and you're going to learn and da-da-da. Right. So much information that what really has happened is we've created a ton of people that are waiting to learn the perfect amount of stuff before they take action. Mm-hmm. And it is completely the opposite of having a, a belief and a passion and a conviction and a commitment. And that's why when you show up with that kind of energy, that's why I tell people, wake the fuck, like energize. Like don't come to me. You're not gonna, even if you're right, I might not be, most of the time we don't have time in a communication in a normal day for me to hear all the points. I can't, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. I can't sit there and fucking massage it with you for eight years. But if the way you tell it to me convinces me that you're convinced, mm-hmm. That's going to go a long way yeah. for me taking a chance. Yeah. Right? Is that, of course. And you got, that's why you got to wake up and have some energy and get on the balls <laughs> of your fucking feet to say something. Well, let me, let me say this, that uh, I took on certain positions with certain brands. Yeah. And I got, the, I caught the vision early on. Yeah. I saw it. And whether there was people that were rallying around me mm-hmm. or... I rallied around the concept guy or however it happened. Me, I I saw it happening to this brand. Like I saw the capabilities right when I looked at it. Okay, right. This is going to, this, this thing can do it. Right. It has all the right pieces in it. Okay. Now I'm just talking about my expertise. Right. I wouldn't know this about automobiles. I wouldn't know about law. I wouldn't know about sound engineering, but it was apparel. Right. And I, yes, this will brand. And this is, this makes sense. And the pieces are all there. We have a project. We have a project that we're working on that I think is a grand slam. For I sure. think it's, undeniable never been done i there's no way you're gonna convince me of it i'm all my money's in on this thing right i see it and i see all the roads it takes and how broad this thing is right and i think that me and you both understand it 
Right. And it started there. Me and you both really visualized this thing right. clearly. Right. And I think we conveyed it to somebody who visually got it as well. That's true, too. It took zero seconds. Zero effort. Right. And I think that person conveyed it to somebody right. that they basically got it. Right. Okay? Yeah. And so now there's four or five people that are believing and really working on this thing. That's true. Right? Almost effortlessly. Effortlessly. And even the people that we've had to do some art and some other things yeah. for us all believe they understood it right they yeah, get it that's know? true so but i think it started with me and you having a vision and us both saying okay we're both really clear on what it is we're trying to do right you know um it's not complicated no and uh i was just reading an article on um uh george marciano george marciano was the founder of guess Okay. Okay, guess genes. Yeah. And this guy had a really cool idea on a, on clothing. Right. And he had a brother that was very good at like marketing and stuff. Yeah. And he had another brother that was really good at like business and accounting and money. Right. And he had the vision and they understood his vision and understood their position, but they believed in his vision. They got it. They all shared it. And it was talking about how they built this fucking empire of guests. Right. Which is massive, bro. I mean, huge. Huge, huge, huge. But uh, I think it's it's really like it's getting the right it's getting the right name it's getting the right light like that stuff's right but once you get the people a couple people next to you that can share in that vision and understand it and are all in on this thing and believe it yeah I think that's when you start gathering followers like you're saying right people that believe in it rally but you've got to first understand it get it and then that's the vision you're sharing it's right. not changing depending on what somebody else is telling you. No. You get what I'm saying? Right. You're not iffy like, oh, well, should we maybe do it that way? No. There's a vision. This is the vision. And you stay, and people are going to come on and come off. Some people are going to shoot it down. Some people are going to walk I, away. I mean, dude, you, you know what? You're saying is absolutely right. And, 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 and part of the way you come across as being clear in your conviction is that you're not quibbling. Just like you said, when somebody can come to you and say, well, what about, a lot of people don't know this, but when you're being, when you're selling something or you're coming in and showing somebody something, right? If they ask you questions and you quiv, you equivalate, they're not, they don't really care about the answer. answer. They just want to know if you're going to wobble or not. And if you're wobbling, then it's a no go. Based, just based on that. A hundred percent. I agree with you. You, you, you've shared a lot about that with me on different things. And different things that are coming up. Think about dating. Like, if you're with a woman, right? I got a lot of friends of mine who want to date chicks, and they want to know how to talk to chicks and all this bullshit, right? And they want to come across like Hugh Grant. Like, they want to be like, I'm, you know, I'm, and maybe I could. They don't realize that what they're communicating to the woman is, I have zero confidence in myself. I don't even like myself. I don't like myself. That's why I'm second guessing every single thing I say to you. And that's why it's coming across as a bunch of hesitations and hiccups. And if you're coming across like that to somebody that you want to take an interest in you, good luck. Good the fuck luck. Good luck with that. It's the same thing with your vision. your That's why some people, I know some people who don't even have a vision. You know that? There you go. I've talked to some people who they want, they've asked for like my help or something, and I'll be like, okay, well, what do you want? 
Like, what's your like? What do you want to have happen? And they throw out three or four different variations of something that could happen. Right. And I tell them like, well, there's your fucking problem right there. That's number one. You don't know what you want. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, but how are you going to brand? How are you going to become an entrepreneur? How are you going to go into business for yourself? How are you going to do? How are you going to even start a podcast? How many people, Steve, have we? And Sean, have we talked to that all either have a podcast or they want to start one and they want to like a lot of a lot, right? A lot. I don't see any of them started anything. Right. And you go like, well, what's it about? Or what are you going to do? And they're like, well, I don't know. I kind of want to do And you're like, nobody wants to hear that. Because until you really have something to say and you know what you want to say, I guess you ain't going to do nothing. That's exactly right. That's a fucking... You're thinking about what you want. You're thinking about what would be some cool shit to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) You're too busy still thinking. Right. you don't really have anything to say. Right. Sean, you're nodding. What are you thinking? Hey, you just got to pull the trigger and just do it. Um, But also, like, I think a lot of people, they these are like peripheral thoughts and they don't spend enough time developing them. But that is so true. There's a lot of hobby people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, you know what? They get distracted. I'll tell you something. They have, when I was looking at those brands like Burberry, I mean, every single one of those brands that took off and then became something else over time, Mm-hmm. Their initial thing was a quality fucking product. Dude, these old luxury brands, the reason that they were around, that's what they were about. Right. They were. They were about the be- as the finest materials that they could make and the right. finest laborers right. and, and building shit. And that's how these became these companies that huh. have been around for fucking... A hundred years and this and that and yes, they did turn into things and right and the listen, man, I'll say it right now, man, the quality of fucking seventy five percent of the shit that you'd buy that says Gucci or says Prada on it, it's fucking garbage. Right. Those those people like people listening right now out there that are like, let me get the the Louis, let me get the this that shit. Most of the apparel you're buying is garbage it's horribly made this is not where those brands came from right they've moved on to huge licensing conglomerates that are getting it done for as cheaply as possible with the biggest turnaround because it's a volume sales game right now it is and and like i can tell right okay look at look at listen up you guys listen up you guys I'm one of the guys that's undercover. You don't know that I can take one look at what you're wearing yeah. and I can tell if you're really about it or not. Really? Oh, I'll know if you're about it or if you're completely off path. Show up wearing some Tom Ford shit. And say, hey, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I know the brands that are real brands that are tied to quality, heritage quality. They're really doing it, you know? Right. And when you look at, uh, you know, just brands like Bontoni or 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 fucking Brunello or Brioni or Corneliani and these are brands that have been around, dude, for fucking a hundred fucking years or more. Right. 
they don't yeah they're out there and you 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 can get to them but they don't really they don't really try and put these these crazy marketing with a bunch of weirdos wearing their clothes right that's not what they're about like all their shit is about what they started into this business into that was yeah and like fucking quality right the best Right, and you don't have to like it, and you don't have to buy it, and we don't need your business. Right. As a matter of fact, why don't you leave? Right. That's how they are about their shit. They're gonna make it no matter what. They're gonna continue to deliver quality goods. Right. Um. And I and I I I gotta say, man, like you know, look at some of some of this high fashion shit, and it's like. You named a brand and like Celine and like you've named some of these brands, okay? And they're yeah. heritage brands. But I look at like what they're doing. Like they've got like some like, I don't know, trans dude with makeup on and like pulled up pink leather pants. And like, right. I don't fucking, that, I don't think that the founders of that company, we're if about- they were alive right now, they'd want somebody wearing their shit like that. Right. Like goofball. Goofball. It was like, like attention-getting clown. Yeah, man. I mean, like, do your homework. Do your homework on like the the the, the you know th- where these brands started and what those guys were about. What they were doing them. They were fucking. They were making classy shit and they were doing things by certain standards. And it's just different, man. And I think that that well, it's like H and M mm-hmm. and Zara and Fashion Nova and all mm-hmm. these companies that came in. Some of them. Uh, they're doing what they call fast fashion. Mm-hmm. My wife hates it mm-hmm. because she says it's just like bullshit. She says it's they they knock off a lot of they they sort of do a knockoff of something that's already accepted or some kind of good fashion thing, and then they go to like some third world country and they just burn it out. Yeah, I whore it out. And it's not put together right. It'll fray in about tw- tw- like a month. It's just just ridiculous. Did you so. hear that Kylie Jenner? By the way. Uh, Kylie Jenner's clothing company, while she, while Kylie Jenner, which I probably will never be famous now because Kylie Jenner's gonna put the kibosh on me, but Kylie Jenner is saying like Black Lives Matter, we gotta stop oppressing Black people, blah 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 blah, because that's good for her brand here in America. Her company hired all these Bangladeshi people to make the clothes. All right, so already she's got it in sweatshop in Bangladesh, and when COVID hit and the order stopped, she didn't pay those people out. There's 50,000 like Bangladesh people that have zero money because Kylie Jenner doesn't want to pay out these people. These poor people. Probably yeah. wouldn't, she wouldn't even know the money was gone. Yeah. She's taking a whole bunch of heat for it right now. Let me, okay, you know what? I'm going to bring you to something Go ahead. right now. Go ahead. So you listeners that are listening. You know, we've, we're, I'm relaunching Supermax, and we've had some pushback dates, and we've had, you know, COVID slowed some things down, this and that, and whatever. All right. Now, that brand, and Chumon, you can attest to it, it's important, and it's always been important for me, Steve Luciano, to produce and make goods in America. Right. It, it, it's important for my brand. Right. My brand is an LA brand. Right. And in my thinking of Supermax and what this brand means and me bringing it out, it is a true LA brand. And the garments are made in Los Angeles and the labels are made here and the fucking everything is done locally. 
Okay. Local source. It is more expensive. It sometimes takes longer. Right. <clears throat> but all my sweatshirts, all my t-shirts are being cut, sewn, and manufactured in Los Angeles and in East Los Angeles. A lot of the printing's going down on the west side, but everything, my hang tags, my stickers, my oh, I, I used all local artists. Everything's coming from here. And I want to be able to have a brand and stand behind a brand that hires and is utilized. My community um, is built here, is not shipped overseas for cheaper prices. It's about quality that we can control, and it's done here in Los Angeles. And that's something that I want to continue to do. And, um, you know, it's... You know, a lot of people have made it very hard, man, because in order to compete, they've gone overseas, some of these big brands. And I think that, I, you know, uh, me, I'm, I'm going to be somebody who makes my product here. If it costs more, if it takes a little more time, I'm going to control the quality. And my brand is going to be an American-made Los Angeles brand. And so as we approach that, you know, that's, a, that's a, something that's going on in apparel right now. And I believe in that, man. I think I think that I live in the greatest country in the world, and I think that we have the ability to to surpass and do anything as good, if not better, than anybody else. And uh, that's what we're doing today. So, a little bit of branding today for you, ladies and gentlemen, and we covered a little bit more than that. Did a lot. I don't think there's anything to add, Sean. Mm-hmm. You set it out, my friend. Mm-hmm. Super Max. <laughs> Super Max on the way. Vibes apparel on the way. Yeah. Somewhere Hard to kill on the way. Yeah. H2K on the way. Hard luck show in your face. Full of fat taking over your brain. And we're going to get out there and do some night stalking. So we're going to have to say what do we say around this time? We say, brother. Adios. Adios.